Uh, Dr. Chanji. Um, sorry, Chairperson, I just want to clarify. I think I might have added, um, I, I spoke on behalf of the Chairperson of FFC, and I think it's unfair. Um, I just make a conversation there. I think uh, Dr. Baba can come in. Uh, you know, I just assume that, um, you know, what I was saying was quite necessary, but could you please give Dr. Baba and the Coalition of FFC to also comment on that? Okay. So, thanks so much. Dr. Baba? Uh, no, thank you so much, Chairperson. Uh, uh, Dr. Yankees, I'm quite um, happy with the arrangements that you are proposing, that we present our slots and then the committee can consider um, questioning us afterwards. Thank you, Chairperson. Before the presentation of PBO, because the uh, plan was that you both present then questions will come up. Yes, that's fine. Are you Okay. Yes, I'm fine. Thanks. Okay. I think it's nine o'clock, a minute past nine now. Um, do we form a quorum, Dubabado? Yes, 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 Chairperson, we do form a quorum, Chair. Thank you. Uh, members, good morning. Good morning, honorable members. You are welcome. Good morning, morning, Chair. Morning. Uh, members uh, from uh, our guests from the provinces, I've spoken to the mem uh, honorable member from uh, Eastern Cape. We have invited all nine provinces and we have not received the, the apology. I hope the chairpersons are here or members of the committees are here. Uh, those who are on the platform, you are welcome. And please feel free to participate, engage with the presentations. Before us, we have two presentations from FFC and PBO. Um, can we find out from Secretariat if there are any apologies? At some stage, I might uh, switch off my video because ESCOM might decide to go away, we might experience load shedding. So we had a seven hour load shedding yesterday. Honorable member, uh, I mean, uh, Mr. Nodata. Thank you, thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, we don't have any apologies for this meeting. Um, the committee forms a quorum. Okay. I think we need to note the apology of uh, Honorable Neta. Uh, she's off sick. I'm not sure as to until when or when will we sh she come back to work. Uh, oh. Can we note that? Okay, thank you, Chairperson. We are not aware of that information. Thanks. We will just continuously have a recurring apology for her until we are informed otherwise. Yeah, I'll also check on her uh, uh, off, uh, off the line. Okay, th thank, thank you so, you so much. much. Thank you. Um, no apologies. Can we then step to item number three? presentation uh, by Financial Fiscal Commission and Fiscal Commission on Division of Revenue. Uh, Dr. Mbaba, your hand is before Dr. Mbaba. Dr. Janji, your hand is still up. 
Is um, this I a... do apologize. It's an old hand, so I do apologize. Sorry about that. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Dr. Mbaba and your team, thank you so much for uh, honoring the invitation. Um, your presentation is really appreciated at uh, all times, more especially on the division of revenue that we are dealing with, uh, B22 of uh, B17 of uh, 2022. I think I'm correct with the numbers there. Uh, Dr. Mbaba, the stage is yours. Yes. Um... Thank you so much, uh, Chairperson. Sorry, sorry, my dear. Uh, we would like to. I would like to call, um, give you thirty minutes at most. I think it will cover your presentation. Yes. I I looked at the slides that you're having. If you mm -hmm. can just please be within the the thirty minutes, so that we can also allow you to attend to the other commitments. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, good morning, uh, members and Chairperson of the Select Committee on Appropriations. It's a great pleasure for the FFC to be here to present um, our, our thoughts on the fiscal framework and the revenue proposals, um, as well as the appropriation bill for 2022. Chairperson and members, our presentation will cover those items. We'll, we'll also discuss the the 2022 Division of Revenue Bill uh, at provincial level and local government. And we'll also share our thoughts on balancing economic and social recovery with ensuring sustainable public finances. I will then come in at the end, Chairperson uh, and members, with uh, more uh, comments and final remarks. I'd like now to, uh, to hand over to our Head of Research to give uh, a contextual background and the researchers to give uh, an analysis of the bill. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Dr. Mbaba. Before he comes in, can I make a special request? Uh, it's something that we, we usually do as a house rule. Um, there's a request from communications and IT that uh, our meeting is live and they'll request that we switch on our videos. Thank you, if possible. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Chen, uh, the request is that all the researchers uh, on our side as they present, may they please switch on their cameras as well as yourself as you present. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and uh, greetings to you and to the House uh, Select Committee. Um, so uh, I think uh, just in terms of background, uh, and, and as we have seen uh, this presentation, um, especially the introduction um, uh, previously. Um, so may this, uh, where we are now at uh, in terms of uh, NCOP and, and in terms of select committee, may the committee now be reminded uh, that in our annual submission for this year, the 2022-23 Division of Revenue table almost 10 months ago, we concluded uh, with evidence that it is improbable uh, that the economy will return to uh, pre-pandemic productivity levels in the short term due to both standing and emerging risks on both uh, the supply and demand sides uh, of uh, the economy, both domestically and internationally. 
more specifically, the devastating effects of the escalating inflation uh, and unemployment uh, structurally that depreciate and eliminates respectively um, uh, our households, uh, our people's uh, purchasing power uh, to survive. Um, with the official fourth quarter um, uh, 2021 GDP data that just came out last week, uh, sadly, our inferences uh, that was made 10 months ago uh, are now proven accurate and uh, likely. Um, South Africa's uh, economy, despite growth, has yet to recover the productivity loss due to the COVID and the uh, civil unrest. Um, and comparable to a level at the moment, GDP-wise, uh, last witnessed in 2017 in real terms. Notably, the industry, uh, as was shown in the latest quarter, uh, was that our industry of electricity, gas, and water supply continue to be our Achilles heel uh, to, uh, uh, to our economic growth. Uh, already, as members uh, and chair, uh, and all of us experience the devastating effects of uh, uh, low shedding and so forth. Uh, and uh, imagine that that impact is also felt uh, for the all uh, businesses and households across the country. And as was down uh, the fourth quarter 2021, uh, back to the stat, is uh, down by 3.4%, with productivity hampered by, uh, by those infrastructure problems, structural problems. May I now hand over uh, to my team to take you through the submission on the 2022 divisional revenue. However, starting first, of course, uh, always looking at the size and shape of the pie for the division, um, because there's no point uh, in trying to cut it however uh, many times a zero, it's still a zero. Uh, the fiscal revenue, uh, Sianda, if you please. Thank you, thank you, Chair, and uh, good morning to Chairperson and Honorable Members. And uh, I'll take you through the next few slides and hand over to my other colleague to continue with the presentation. So what we see is that a consolidated budget deficit of 6% is projected uh, for the 2022-23 year financial year, which then narrows to 4.2% of, of GDP in 2024. But more worryingly, what we see is that the debt servicing cost will now exceed uh, $300 billion. Uh, per year that is starting from 2022-23 uh, financial year, and it, has, it is becoming the fastest growing spending item. And the worry here, it's, it's also worrying in the sense that uh, with a rise in inflation, which is always follows by, followed by uh, a rise in interest rates, then this rises, uh, increases interest costs that the government has to pay on, on, on the debt. And uh, uh, to do that, the government at some point must, uh, uh, to pay for the high interest cost, must raise either raise tax revenues or cut spending or, or, or by credibly promising to do so in the future. And this also uh, is, is, is also worrying in the sense that we have a narrow intake space due to, to the high unemployment, which also puts in a way uh, a pressure on public spending. Next slide. Uh, and then uh, what we see here when we look at the allocations uh, by, by economic classifications, uh, we see that uh, capital capital payments, which in a way capital payments captures government's contribution to capital formation, 
uh, that is on the spending on, on new infrastructure as well as upgrades. We see that over the MTF, it then grows at an average of 12.2%. Uh, and then we see capital transfer, which is different from capital payments, but also focuses on, on, on capital uh, formation, uh, is, is, is growing at an average of 7.2%. Uh, but worrying also is the rise in employee compensation, which uh, is growing over the MTF at 1.8%. Uh, Next slide. What, uh, when we look at allocations by uh, uh, functional classification, what we see over the, the MTF is that uh, uh, most of the, of the uh, functions uh, are decreasing over the MTF, although they are increasing in the, in the, in the uh, upcoming uh, fiscal year, but over the MTF they decrease. So we see that uh, the learning and culture decreases by a negative 1.1%. Uh, and the social development uh, decreases by one, uh, 2.5%. So we only have the community development and the economic development, uh, which are, increases, are increasing over the MTF. And what we note that these budget cuts that we see over the MTF must consider the effect uh, these cuts will have on employment. So there is a need to balance between uh, the budget cuts and ensuring that we also preserve uh, uh, employment such, such that we don't add to the unemployment problem. Next slide. And then when we look at, at the tax revenue uh, or the tax revenue and proposals, we note that uh, there are no tax increases uh, in the immediate, uh, but we also note that the gross tax revenue for 21, 22 uh, uh, is above what was projected. Uh, but we also note the, the proposed uh, revision of the of the, uh, uh, the company tax. That uh, although the idea is to bring uh, investment, there needs to be further investigations in terms of what else uh, or what other factors must be considered to make sure that uh, these decreases in taxes uh, ultimately do bring to bring investment. So we welcome the tax the tax uh, uh, relief. It will help with uh, consumers' expend, uh, expenditure, uh, but we do want that uh, in the future, given uh, the debt servicing cost and other uh, spending pressures, there might be a consideration of tax increases. Next slide. I'll hand over to Sasha, my colleague, to continue with this section of the presentation. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Siander, and good morning. Uh, good morning, Chair, uh, members of the committee, and other colleagues. I'm trying to put my video on, but I'm having some issues. Um, if I can perhaps just, okay, I think it's on now. Um, the next three slides emphasizes some highlights from the 2022 appropriation bill. So, looking uh, more at those national departments. Um, and in total, the 2022 appropriation bill will allocate just over a trillion rand across the 41 votes for the 2022-23 financial year. Um, when we compare that um, amount to the revised estimate for 2021-22, this represents an increase of 3%. Um, but when we look further across the years of the medium-term expenditure framework, we see that the positive growth that is being projected for 2022-23 
will not be maintained the year thereafter. So in 2023-24, um, those um, national departments will again um, see uh, widespread reductions um, and in uh, instances slower growth. Um, across the, the national departments, the largest allocation is to the social development vote. Um, and there are three key developments that drive the increases to the social development vote um, over the MTF. Um, and the first is the extension of the social relief of distress grant for another 12 months. Um, and uh, this comes at a cost of 44 billion, which has been enabled by the revenue windfall that was experienced. Um, the other two developments relate to the adjustment to the child support grant, which will be expand, expanded to include double orphans. And the third development in the sector will be the linking of the social security grants to, to inflation. Um, generally, the, the Commission supports these interventions. Um, we believe that it will bring much needed relief uh, to poor and vulnerable households who rely on social security grants. Um, especially given the detrimental effects of the COVID-19 pandemic over the last two years. Um, regarding the permanent replacement of the SRD grant, the Commission notes the process is underway to identify a, a sound alternative. Um, and for the Commission, uh, one of the central considerations that should be kept in mind when evaluating the viability of any replacement uh, will be the long-run effect that it would have on the sustainability of, of the fiscus. Uh, if we move to the next slide, please. Um, the other area of funding that has benefited from the revenue windfall is higher education, where an additional 32.6 billion will be transferred through this vote to the National Student Financial Aid Scheme. And the funding will be used to continue uh, uh, support for existing bursary holders and to provide funding for new entrants into the system. And here, the Commission would like to highlight the fact that providing bursaries to, to students is not a temporary or a once-off type of support. Um, it does create um, a future funding obligation, at least uh, at the very least over the short to medium term. Um, thus, due consideration must be given to government's ability to sustain this level of funding over the medium term. Um, if we do not see any recovery in re revenue, um, the departments that are um, spearheading these, these increases, in this case, uh, higher education and training, those, the budgets of these departments will come under severe uh, pressure come 2023-24. Um, we do, however, note that according to the budget review, a new higher education funding model will be introduced in 2023. Um, so we await the contents of, the, of, of this new uh, funding model. Um, the the other uh, key vote is the basic education uh, vote. Uh, we note nominal increases over the next three years, um, but of course what is more important is what happens at the provincial education level, since that is where the uh, actual delivery of, of uh, education is located. Um, uh, staying with the basic education sector, we note additional funding uh, aimed at assisting the provinces with addressing the sh shortage of teachers. Again, um, you know the point of uh, uh, creating future funding obligations. Um, and uh, the sector will come under significant pressure if, if again, if revenue is not, um, if we do not see a recovery in revenue next year. Um, 
The, uh, we also note the increase to the cooperative governance vote, which is one of the key drivers of growth in total allocation by a vote. Um, and to, in respect of this vote, we see an additional 28.9 billion allocated. It's largely directed at transfers to municipalities in the form of the local government equitable share allocation. And given the role of municipalities in the delivery of free basic services to indigent households, um, the Commission supports the protection of this um, uh, pool of funding. Uh, moving to the next slide, please. Um, now, alongside the increased funding for, for uh, the various social protection programs, um, government has also utilized the additional revenue to improve funding um, to economic development related departments. And this funding is largely in respect of infrastructure investment. And the notable allocations in this regard include an additional um, 5.3 billion to the water and sanitation vote, largely to fund regional bulk infrastructure. And then also to the transport vote, where amongst other things, 45.3 billion will be allocated to address the backlog in upgrading and refurbishing the national non-toll road network. Um, on these two aspects, uh, the Commission supports the, the targeting of uh, funding towards uh, economic development. Um, uh, but whilst we support it, we also note that the key um, will be the rollout of these infrastructure departments, um, sorry, of these infrastructure projects um, by these departments. Um, as we know, there are long-standing issues with respect to infrastructure management, which can inhibit the possible gains that can be derived from infrastructure investment. So the key there will be the implementation of, of those projects. Um, if I may please and go to the next slide. Thank you. Um, so overall, the Commission supports uh, government's decision to prioritize funding for social protection and economic development, um, but we uh, stress the need to keep in mind the temporary nature of the increased um, funding um, and be aware that in some instances, the additional funding in 2022-23 will create future funding uh, obligations in certain sectors and should Revenue not recovered, these sectors will be under significant pressure over the rest of the MTF period. So we would advise departments to be aware of this potential threat and to be proactive in devising uh, contingency plans to fund commitments uh, should the need arise. Um, we'd also like to emphasize the need for finalizing the new higher education funding model um, with haste and in time uh, for the 2023 financial year. Um, thank you very much. I'll now hand over to my colleague, Eddie. Yeah, thank you, Sasha. Uh, good morning, honorable members. Um, if I could, may I please switch uh, off the video because I'm on a very unstable network. Uh, I'll proceed uh, with your permission, Chairperson. Um, so the, I'm struggling to hear you, uh, Eddie. Yeah, the network is a little bit uh, very poor. Shaky. Okay, you can yes. switch off your video. Yeah. That's fine. All right. Okay, thank you. So there are two issues coming out of the uh, provincial government allocations. Mainly, the first one is the issue of um, stagnation in the provincial allocations. And the second one would be uh, the alignment between um, reprioritization of conditional grants and the overall long-term developmental goals of the country. 
So what we're seeing in the budget for 2022, there's a 682 billion that is allocated to provinces, which amounts to almost two trillion over the medium term expenditure framework. But when you look at when you make a comparison between where these allocations were in 2021, that is the pre-COVID allocations and why they, we are currently sitting. It's almost some kind of a recovery, but which is almost like a, a, a increasing at a very declining rate. So that's why we see this stagnation in the allocations to provinces. And the implication thereof, of course, is that there's going to be a number, a cuts in the, in, in, in the services that is being provided by the provinces. And what has happened in this particular specifically is that because of the protracted consolidation, which have been mainly uh, uh, affecting provinces. We've seen in the main province cutting expenditure on um, uh, the appointment of teachers, also uh, Leonard uh, uh, support material. So there's been a 53 billion which has been added to the provincial equitable share formula to help provinces to acquire or to hire more teachers, but also to delete the LTSM shortages which have been which have had happened as a result of the consolidation that has happened over the past 10 years or so. Uh, there's also some a bit of money which has been added to help with the uh, 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 hiring education assistance, but also to strengthen COVID-19 responses. Well, the one point that we really want to uh, emphasize with respect to the hiring of education assistance is that in, in some reports, there has been uh, indication that the, there is no clarity as to what this education assistance are supposed to be doing. Of course, this is part of pro presidential employment uh, program, but there's got to be much more clearer uh, uh, objective as to what they are going to be doing, so that so that the budget can be. If the if, if some provinces don't necessarily education assistance, the, the budget can be directed to areas where there is uh, most deliver shortages. Now, in respect of conditional grants, what we're seeing there again is that there's a bit of a, a catch up to the pre-COVID-19 levels, but but also the growth is very is very slow. As we know, most of the cuts have mostly were emitted on um, uh, infrastructure conditional grants. So we're seeing them starting to recover to the pre-COVID-19 levels, but again, the the recovery is very small. <clears throat> Average growth of total conditional grants over the pandemic period uh, is six percent in nominal in nominal terms. So when you factor uh, inflation, literally what we see is that there's zero growth in those allocations. As much as we see recovery, there is zero growth. So <clears throat> cost increases associated with the delivery of of infrastructure it means that they are not being they have not been uh, <clears throat> accommodated because of this uh, and of course we understand because it's the it's the economic environment that is so it means that at the provincial level there must be the necessary uh, adjustment to ensure that the the resources which are being allocated um, are, are aligned to the to the delivery uh, uh, requirements next slide Jen. Uh, the next slide uh, really is just to show the story of, of, the, of the stagnation that I've just spoken about. If you look at the graph here showing the budget in 2020 uh, relative to where it is today. So the conditional grant allocations, for instance, would have been, <coughs> sort of the PS allocation would have been about 200 billion in in, in, in in 2020, sorry. Yeah, and then when you see at the, at the graph, it's almost like it's flat over the 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 the, the two year uh, or the three year budget cycle. So, which is essentially the story that we are making about the uh, uh, stagnant allocation. Which means that there should be significant fiscal adjustment at the provincial level because the national budget cannot be able to help with the uh, the uh, uh, with recovering the the lost um, allocations. Now, 
In that sense, the, recommend, the, commission, the commission therefore recommends that provinces must identify selected delivery indicators and provide assessment of the service levels using the 2020 financial year as a point of reference to determine the impact of, of the stagnant allocation on service delivery, but also <clears throat> to ensure that when there is sufficient, when the resources eventually come back, uh, the rest, uh, the, we'll be able to target where the, the impact has been most, most severe in terms of uh, service delivery and this assessment must also incorporate provincial conditional grants delivery targets set out in the division of revenue act uh, in comparison to the current year of assessment which would, would be 2020 2022 or 2023 next slide uh, the next slide here is just to indicate the conditional grants allocation uh, the trend line in the allocations in the main here what we'd like to note is the um, mainly the human settlement development grant which over the years has really been uh, cut significantly uh, to the tune of uh, about seven billion or five point seven billion or so, seven billion or so. Now the implication of that cut, of course, is because we, they, they are, there are some tax. Now with those cuts, it means that you elongate the time within which you need you're going to address those 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 backlogs. And again, understandably, it's a function of the economic constrained economic environment that we find ourselves in. But the point we'd like to make here is that there is a need to link these cuts alongside to to align this these cuts alongside the country's long-term development. Course and what by that if with but um, specific reference to the agriculture conditional conditional grants if you look at the Ilima and CAS which are the two main intra, uh, agriculture conditional grants the allocations to those uh, grants two grants have been very minimal yet when you look at the infrastructure the economic recovery plan the economic reconstruction recovery plan it identifies agriculture as one of the key levers uh, for for job creation but also to support. Uh, growth going forward. Now, when you look at the allocations versus those, um, the vision that is being uh, articulated in the ERP, almost don't see that alignment. And uh, the emphasis we'd like to make is that going forward, the, the, we need to improve this alignment between the long-term ob objectives with allocations that are made through the uh, the, the conditional grants. And lastly, is the, with respect to the infrastructure, the HIV and malaria uh, program. Uh, again, this program, uh, one of the points that we've identified earlier to this committee was that there's a, quite a number of subcomponents associated with this particular uh, with this particular grant, and we actually see uh, uh, growth again uh, in in this particular uh, program. But what we pointing out is that going forward, uh, those sub-components sub, uh, within the HIV grants needs to be done away with so that we can improve the focus of this uh, particular grant, it, it focus on prevention rather than uh, rather than the curative measures which have been prioritized with the new grants that is being added to, the, to, this, to this particular uh, grant. Uh, next slide. Uh, yeah, in conclusion, Chairperson, as I've already mentioned, uh, the main issue that is coming out of this section in particular is the need to ensure that there is consistent monitoring of the delivery indicators and see what the impact has been of this uh, uh, concerted uh, budget cuts to provinces and therefore make sure that going forward we know where we allocate, where the resources, where the impact on delivery has been severe. severe. The second one is that in light of the 24.6 billion that has been added to the provincial equitable share formula to the education department, especially to address teacher shortages and also Leonard support material, uh, is that we, we need to consider the carry-through cost of this uh, uh, budget of, of this uh, 
uh, deliver obligations because if should the revenue not recover for the following year, it means the baseline for the equitable share would not be able to rise and therefore provinces would not be able to fund the teachers which which, which have been uh, which would have been appointed as a result of the additions that are made to the provincial equitable share. Uh, thanks, Chair President. Let me hand over to my colleague, uh, Namonde. Uh, can't hear Eddie anymore. Is it only me? Can members hear Eddie? Yeah, he was so fine at the end. Yes, I've heard him. Yes, we do, Chair. Okay, I think he was cut off. If it's only me and you can hear him, it's fine. Okay. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, if I may take over from Eddie. Okay. Uh, in looking at the local government's uh, division of revenue this year, uh, there has been uh, some additions, uh, especially on the uh, local government equal share por uh, portion of the division. Um, but however, noting that uh, this year is the first year after the, uh, the great uh, political uh, shift in the political landscape last year with the election, and then with, that resulted in many of the councils uh, having uh, hung councils. Uh, so politically and, of course, uh, economically, um, it, it's worth a consideration because uh, we always say uh, politics drives economics. All these changes are taking place against the backdrop, of course, the, of the COVID-19. You remember, Honorable Chair members, that during the COVID-19 uh, or at the advent of it, uh, onset of it, uh, there were great shifts there uh, in terms of uh, shifting money away uh, uh, from other spheres, uh, also uh, in incurring um, uh, over expenditures uh, to add uh, additional resources to onto uh, the local government sphere. Sorry. Um, uh, Eddie, can you close? Yes, Eddie, can or someone, someone's mic is on. Uh, thank you, Chair. Can you um, the mic except for the speaker. Thank you very much, Chair. So in addressing some of these challenges, um, the Commission notes and welcomed the review of uh, the local government capacity building system, which started uh, around 2021 with its implementation envisaged to kickstart in 2023. Um, it, it, we are of the view that such initiative will enhance uh, and uh, improve the municipal performance on uh, at the ground level uh, in, in terms of the implementation. However, that is also has been the, uh, shall we say, the great challenges there uh, when we bring uh, uh, the uh, policies and uh, initiatives uh, from paper onto the ground. Um, another welcome development in the local government sphere is strengthening the own revenue revenue through development charges, although this should not uh, be uh, uh, should not uh, be a distraction uh, from what uh, the local government, the main envelope in terms of base, the providing basic services and uh, the charge and the, the levies and the charges therein um, uh, that that serves and that's as the foundation still uh, for majority of, uh, of the local uh, municipal uh, own revenue source um, and, and as well as uh, uh, also in the same light we welcome this approach uh, the uh, own sort of municipal revenue mobilization uh, initiative however 
Um, we are reminded again uh, that in line with our uh, submission of revenue uh, research uh, done for 2020-21, that um, this uh, initiative should be done together or in, in synchronized, uh, in coordinated fashion uh, with the district development model, which seeks to address those uh, and to improve uh, the local uh, economic uh, uh, development. Um, this is to look at uh, the, the essentially the equitable share for the local government. And essentially, we see this over the MTF, uh, there is an envisaged increase uh, for uh, the, especially on the equitable share portion, as you see in the blue bar, and then as well as uh, conditional grants. However, we note that um, while, whilst we are looking at that uh, over the MTF, we should look at where we are currently in terms of the, of the revised budgets. So one of the key concerns, especially in implementation and for local governments, uh, some of the 257, uh, quite many of those recipients, is that when they spend money, uh, do they spend it in full? Um, because if it comes back as un underspending, which has always been the issue for the local government sphere, then that money is uh, again uh, wasted in its purpose and its uh, value. Uh, moving on, uh, this is another look, except looking at the margins uh, or the rates of change uh, between uh, years of the, uh, the various allocations. And again, we see this uh, huge rise uh, uh, envisaged uh, for the equitable share. We are, however, concerned uh, the, uh, for the conditional grants, as most of the conditional grants in the local government sphere is infrastructure related to do with uh, basic infrastructure and services. And so it is quite concerning that the growth for other um, uh, very important, uh, those infrastructure built grants uh, is uh, seemingly declined. Um, so the interchange, the sort of the interactions and the interrelatedness uh, use of uh, between equitable share and conditional grants in the local government sphere is something to be uh, to be monitored and evaluated as we move forward over the MDF. And so here, lastly, looking at again uh, the different uh, grant types, um, we see this sort of uh, tapering off of uh, in terms of growth uh, for those uh, conditional grants as we raised that concern, uh, the various and concerned uh, earlier. Um, we shan't go, into the, uh, I shan't go into the specifics, but again, it's just un that uh, underspending issue uh, for, the, uh, for these grants. And so it is not without justification that these grants were moderated. Um, however, uh, we are, however, of the view that these reductions uh, that does send a negative signal. And it is very clear that when we send something uh, of a signal, always are uh, very careful and, and uh, very um, clear uh, with the reasons and the whys. And it would be a challenge, of course, uh, for 257 municipalities, uh, as they all have different um, essentially different uh, use and uh, reasons and and uh, and the challenges faced uh, for implementing these grants. So it's important that when we communicate those uh, signals, positive or negative, um, th that they are well informed uh, so that they may implement 
uh, the, those uh, those grants frameworks. Uh, in essence, uh, in, in some of the recommendations is that we welcome the government's efforts to keep the local government equitable share growth above inflation, and it will go a long way in offsetting the ever uh, increasing cost of basic services and enable delivery. We also note and welcome the review of that uh, capacity building systems and infrastructure grants. Um, the Commission, we also further stress that in view of those uh, changes and reviews and initiatives uh, for local economic growth and development, is that we looked at what we've said, uh, it's governments in terms of the district uh, development model. There's no use, it's no use uh, to have so many plans and models uh, where we don't uh, make them all link up uh, so that uh, essentially uh, uh, building on top on the shoulders of giants rather than uh, everybody working in silos. Lastly, the Commission stresses that uh, municipalities must improve the efficiency of spent. Earlier we said uh, and saw that uh, there is a, a lot of underspending in the sector, and so it would be important uh, to not just keep throwing in the budget, throwing in the money, but rather uh, really follow on uh, the on the expenditure review programs um, and adjust the program, uh, adjust the budget accordingly uh, uh, to make it uh, uh, the responsive budgeting. Um, and lastly, let me uh, hand back to uh, Eddie and then the chair. Eddie. Thanks, Jim. Um, you, don't have, you don't have uh, the luxury of time anymore. Yeah, Just, okay, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll consider that. I'll try to be brief. Okay, so okay. the last session, uh, Chairperson and honorable um, members, you would have heard um, a number of pre and post uh, analysis um, of the budget. We're asking whether what was the overall uh, fiscal stance of the budget, whether it was supporting growth, it was, I mean, it was emphasizing fiscal stability or it was promoting uh, social <coughs> social stability. Now, in the Commission's uh, view is that those objectives are not mutually objectives. And, and there's a quite, quite a number of lessons that we can take from the approach that we the government took in respect of um, uh, responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, in which uh, the approach was three-pronged, mainly to overcome the health crisis, to protect the livelihoods, and to support businesses. So there have been a number of initiatives, I won't go into, into them, that were introduced at that time, which were very much synchronized. And in the sense, we are of the view that that is a very uh, a good approach. Must uh, I go into this condition, Chair? Chair? Let me just quickly conclude as we don't have the time uh, on our side. Thank you so much, Chairperson uh, uh, and members. In conclusion then, um, members, uh, the Commission supports Budget 2022 and government's continued commitment to consolidating public finances while providing support for the pandemic response job creation and social protection. There are three areas we want to emphasize our members is that in terms of South Africa's growth prospects, the commission's view is that it is improbably that the economy will return to pre-pandemic production levels within a year. Regarding revenue and tax policy, the commission supports government's approach of focusing on broadening the tax base, improving administration, and lowering tax rates. 
The Commission further welcomes government's decision to use a portion of the revenue windfall to lower the gross borrowing requirements and reducing debt issuances. However, the Commission cautions that debt stabilization risks remain innovated and pose significant challenges to public finances. Finally, members, the Commission supports the decision to use the revenue windfall to improve pro-poor and growth-inducing allocations in non-interest spending over the MTEF. We believe that this approach will not jeopardize, must not rather jeopardize the part to deficit reduction and fiscal consolidation. However, it should be noted, members, that certain elements of funding within budget 2022 will create future funding obligations, such as the NSFAS funding for low-income students, as well as the hiring of teachers. Should, should the revenue not recover, this will place departments under significant pressure. Thank you so much, Chairperson uh, and members, for, uh, for the opportunity. Thank you very much, uh, Team FFC. Um, we will come back with the engagement on your presentation. I will now request uh, Team PBO, led by Dr. Janji, to do their presentation. Um, 30 minutes uh, at most. I know uh, FFC, <laughs> you took a few minutes uh, after your time has lapsed, but it's fine. Uh, you have highlighted uh, very important issues that are, are empowering us. Uh, Tim uh, PBO, parliamentary uh, budget. Thank you, so, thank you so much, Chairperson. Good morning to all the members, good morning to Collective Platform. Thank you for the opportunity to give the input. We'll try to see if we can stick to, to, to the time allocated. Um, this is our presentation outline. Um, uh, I'm with the team, a Chair. Uh, I know that we've got colleagues from the province and honor members from the province, just to emphasize. Uh, I'm with the team who will take us through the presentation. I will quickly do the, the introduction and, and, and give to the team to take us through. Uh, uh, go to the next slide, please. Um, I think this slide just summarizes, say, uh, you know, our mandates that we establish support these committees in, in related to the money bills. But I think to emphasize that our presentation will mainly focus on the potential revenue. And, and our wish is that the committee would give us some opportunity again in the coming few weeks to give input on the appropriations bill in this regard. Um, our presentation really provides some of the thinking around the roles and responsibility about the stakeholders in the door itself. But more importantly also, to show share some of the needs that um, societal and economic needs that the, the door in, uh, is meant to support the spheres of government uh, and, and also look at the changes that happened in the, in the current year, vis a vis the prior years, uh, but also look at the provinces and the, and the local government spheres, in particular, Kuncha crimes. For the next slide, uh, uh, thank you so much. I think here, uh, the next slide, I think we also want to emphasize the, the the purpose of the act itself, that it looks at um, how the, 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 the revenue raised nationally is divided among three spheres, and we're also looking out the years, and but also looking at some of the roles or whether each province uh, will be able to carry in the regard. 
and and focus on the the municipality and, and provincial government shares which uh, I mean conscious grants which form part of their 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 allocation or division in that regard. But I think uh, to emphasize a few points, I know other colleagues have emphasized also uh, you know, around the constitutional requirements in terms of some of the consideration to be given when the the revenue is divided by uh, this year's years, in particular uh, the need to ensure that the provinces and the municipalities are able to provide the basic services and perform the functions as allocated in the constitution and other provisions, but also the fiscal uh, capacity and efficacy of the provinces and, and municipalities in that regard, but, but also having some emphasis on developmental needs, uh, but also able to, uh, to allow predictability of the fiscal uh, uh, consultations or fiscal allocation over time. The next slides. So these are some of the provisions that are quite uh, clear provisions, but I emphasize a few of them there, which are quite also important, and, and, and others are important. I think in this slide, in, in, in giving context again, chair and members, just to show some of the functions and mandate of the spheres, and also taking into account that uh, some of these functions are co-functions, co, 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 co are co-shared by some of these spheres, particularly local government and province there. So the division of revenue really and enables these, these fears to address some of these mandates that came in from the, the, the provisions thereof. The next slide, I'm the last slide from myself, just to, to show that there has been some uh, changes when you particularly look at the, the, the local government, there have been some additions. Uh, it's very reflected compared, when you compare with the prior allocations in this regard. But also to raise, to show that, um, you know, how much of the, the division of revenue um, it's conditional grants from the, for both the other spheres. And it's important in a way, um, looking at some of the issues we've raised over the years uh, with the analysis of the, the use of conditional grants to understand that it forms part of the major allocation spheres in this regard. Chairperson and honorable members and colleagues, I'll just give now to the team. I think Ms. Lucy Wessebeck will take us through the, the needs that the, the division of risk and, and intended to address in this regard. Thank you so much. Lucy, you can take us through. Yes. Thanks. Um, good morning, honorable members and guests um, and colleagues. Uh, I'll be taking us through the situational analysis and the needs that we have um, written about in the submission. Um, so looking first at the national sphere of government, um, it is critical to acknowledge that at the national sphere, what is important is the provisioning of social protection and safety and security. And of course, these are the two largest expenditure functions at that level. Um, this function, of course, includes programs at income protection social welfare, and also supports women, youth, and persons with disabilities. And of course, as we've seen during the COVID-19 crisis, um, you know, social protection in particular has become, um, a, you know, a point of, of deep consideration. Um, as of the end of September 2021, there were 18.5 million social social grants uh, paid to 11 million, 11.5 million beneficiaries. Um, social development estimated that approximately 13.2 million people will be eligible to receive the special COVID-19 SRD grant in 2021-22. And of course, this needs to be related to the increasing unemployment, um, poverty and inequality that we've experienced during this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, and 
these grants, we need to, when we desegregate it, we look 5.8 million beneficiaries uh, based on previous grant recipients um, as of March 2021, and about 7.4 million of these are caregivers who had actually been excluded um, at the, in, in the previous rounds. So next slide, please. So of course, you know, we con we continue to be concerned around the, you know, the corruption in the public and private sectors, which makes it difficult, you know, for, for national and all areas of government to undertake um, what is meant to be done to be able to change the circumstances of our country. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has in particular highlighted or heightened the vulnerability of certain groups, of course, women um, in particular and children, when we look at the exposure to gender-based violence and femicide. And of course, because security or safety is an important consideration at national, it's important that we um, are conscious of the numbers of crime that are happening. You know, we're looking at 9.5 thousand people being raped um, between July and September 2021. Um, there's 1,070 plus thousands of common assaults, um, over 6,000 people killed, um, and all these crime statistics that, of course, make safety um, a deep concern in our country. Next slide, please. In terms of the provincial sphere, we know that education and health are the largest expenditure functions here, um, and about 3 million children between um, 0 and 4 um, accessed ECD services by March 2021. Just to give you a context, there are currently 5.7 million children in South Africa between the ages of 0 and 4. Um, so this is, you know, still quite far off uh, from the number of children we actually have. Even our target falls below, um, uh, you know, the number of children in 2022 um, who should be in these ECD centers. Um, enrollment for children ages five to six in school or ECD centers has grown, um, which is a positive um, consideration. And of course, we continue to struggle in terms of our math and science um, you know, results in schools. So something to also think about deeply and whether this budget um, enables for us to improve some of those indicators. Next slide, please. In terms of the provincial sphere, it, health is also another critical consideration. And I think what is quite alarming here is to note that between 2019 and 2020, we've actually regressed in some of our key indicators. Um, you know, So yes, we've improved in life expectancy over the last couple of years, um, and our target is 70 years by 2020. 30. Um, we were at 65.5 years in 2020, so that is a good indication of moving towards um, the target. But at the same time, when we look at infant mortality rates, um, they actually increased between 2019 and 2020, something to be deeply concerned about as a critical indicator for health outcomes. Um, and as well as under five mortality rates, something, you know, we need to think about the ecosystem of health and what are the driving factors um, that lead to this. For example, in terms of infant mortality rate, one of the leading causes is underweight at birth, which requires us to look differently at what is needed in terms of budgetary allocations to deal with that. Next slide, please. I'll now pass on to my colleague, Tepo Mloy, to take us over um, local government. Thank you. 
Uh, thank you very much, Lucy. Uh, Chapas and honorable members, I'll be taking you briefly through these slides on local government, which we all know plays a critical role as the first line of interaction between government and its citizens. Now, between 2004 and 2016, uh, the country has certainly seen a rapid rise in service delivery protests, and thus holds to the dissatisfaction with service delivery. Uh, we also know that the poor service delivery also has a disproportional uh, impact on different households along racial, gender, and geographic lines. Uh, likewise, COVID-19 has also brought to the fore uh, the centrality of social reproduction. Uh, this relates to household duties such as cooking, childcare, elder, elderly care. Now, these activities are usually or they are disproportionately undertaken by women and girls and are uh, somewhat also exacerbated by the lack of access to basic services. Uh, moreover, we do know that these vital households duties are also regarded as unpaid work and not measured in indicators such as the GDP, uh, meaning that the poor service delivery means that more time doing unpaid work, and thus also certainly affects women's participation, labor, markets parti labor market participation. Uh, next slide, please. Now, the statistics contained in the 2019 non-financial census of municipalities report uh, all points to a significant decline in the provision of free basic services, be it when you look at access to free basic water, sewage, sanitation, as well as electricity services. But also at the same time, we also know that millions of households are often faced with this trade-off between the buying of food or paying for the ever-increasing municipal services. What's also quite interesting is the research from the Public Affairs Research Institute that makes two important findings. Uh, the first finding being that uh, for more than two decades, a local government has not been able to fulfill its conflicting objectives uh, of, on one hand, charging affordable travels to ensure universal affordable access to quality services, whilst at the same time ensuring that they remained financially viable. Uh, the second key finding was that uh, millions of households that were eligible for free services do not get them simply due to a dysfunctional system uh, for the registration of indigent households. Uh, next slide, please. Now, this slide simply looks at the challenges to service delivery more broadly, and we're simply saying that the financial and operational challenges that often hinder local government from delivering services are often correlated or closely related, and that the failure to adequately address these challenges certainly has got an immense uh, causes immense hardship to citizens and also has a detrimental impact on social and economic development. Now, when you look at the literature on local government, uh, much of this literature suggests that the poor performance, uh, which often leads to service delivery, is due to a combination of factors, issues around capacity constraints, which would also relate to skill shortages. You've got poor planning, ineffective financial management, uh, poor M&E, especially in the context of poor governance and corruption. Now, linked to this, and more importantly, is also the lack of up-to-date data. Uh, you'd recall that in 2021, uh, Stats SA did indicate that uh, they would uh, be suspending the detailed household survey, uh, and certainly this was due to the budget cuts. Now, without this critical information, certainly data-driven policymaking will be undermined. Now, finally, the performance, and, uh, the performance and financial audits by the Auditor General also points to serious service delivery problems 
problems with the local government. In their last report, they reported that only 28% of municipalities submitted credible financial statements for audit, and this was for the 2019-20 financial year, and that the number of municipalities that were in financial distress arise from 86 in 2020. 2014, 275 in 2019-20, and more worryingly was that 123 municipalities had passed unfunded budgets. Uh, I'll hand over to Rashad. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, earlier on, and honourable members, we presented the Division of Revenue for this current year and over the MTF. Uh, whilst it's useful to do so and to consider the current MTF, it's also to useful to consider the context uh, for the division of revenue. So given the country's evolving socioeconomic needs, increasing expectations uh, placed on the state to provide more, both uh, at, the, at all three levels of government, uh, and also in the context of COVID, in the context of, of low growth, uh, it's important to consider the context. So this slide over here shows you the division of revenue from 2008-9 right through to the outer year of the current MTEF. And the most obvious um, inclusion over here, or shown over here, is the declining share of provincial government and national government and the rising share of uh, local government over the medium term. Now, uh, over, the, over the, the historical period, uh, whilst this share may seem negligible, so 9.8 starting off 7.5, uh, when we consider the cumulative effects and the size of the budget, it is quite significant over time. Uh, and this is exacerbated by the fact that the size of the pie is not growing as fast as it previously did time. Uh, over time. Uh, it raises several questions about the adequacy and the implications for the intergovernmental, intergovernmental fiscal system uh, over the medium term uh, with increasing pressures. Next slide, please. Uh, now, this slide over here shows you the same as the previous slide, but also includes debt service costs. Now, as you all are very familiar with, debt service costs have uh, significantly increased over time in this particular period we're considering over here. It's almost doubling from 9% in 2008 9 to almost 18% in the outer year of the current MTEF. Now, given that these are shares of total uh, expenditure, for one to increase, something else has to give in, or at least another more than one needs to decrease. And the, the weight and the work over here is being done by provincial and national government. We see the allocation to national and provincial decreasing over this historical period over here, and uh, a less optimal division of revenue um, if, once we consider a longer term period. Next slide, please. Finally, given what we previously showed, uh, we now look at the division of review over time, both what was previously spent and what is allocated for the current MTEF, but on a real per capita basis. So that is to say, uh, how much are we allocating, given the number of people in the country, removing the effects of inflation? So what we show over here with the orange line on the top of the graph is... Um, for the most part, from 2008-2009, over the, the medium term and over the long term, uh, the, the trend is for spending on a per capita basis to actually increase controlling for inflation. Now, this is very important, and it shows that uh, despite fiscal consolidation of the past five, uh, six years, allocation per person in the country is actually increasing. Uh, but however, the devil is in the detail. When we look a bit deeper, uh, we note that most of this is, or the largest part of the increase is for debt service costs. And national departments are growing more slowly, provinces growing more slowly, and yet local government grows a bit faster. When we consider the projections um, for the current MTEF, uh, main budget expenditure on a per capita basis is expected to decrease, 
uh, in real uh, per capita terms. Uh, and when we look at the right column on the table in the bottom, we note significant decreases on a per capita basis uh, for national departments and provinces, and that's to allow for local government to increase in real per capita terms and obviously debt service costs. Now, this raises questions about the appropriateness of the division of revenue um, uh, for this country, especially given uh, rising debt service costs and, and government's continued uh, attempt to try and uh, stabilize debt as a share of GDP over the medium term. Um, thank you. Um, good morning, honorable members. Um, um, in terms of the division of revenue, the national share of 67.2% includes conditional grants to provinces and local government, the general fuel levy, um, sharing with metros, aid service costs, the contingency reserve, um, reserve and provisional allocations. The provincial share um, is 28.4% of the main budget expenditure and the local government share is 4.4% of the main budget. Next slide. So subsequent to the initial division of nationally raised revenue, a portion of the national share is further divided amongst provincial government and municipalities. This division results in a remaining share of 49.6% for the national sphere, 41% to provinces, and 9.1% to municipalities. Of the 41% share in provinces, the equitable share amounts to 82%, and provincial conditional grants amounts to 17.8%. Of the 9% share to local government, the equitable share amounts to 58%, and conditional grants 31.9%. Metros also received part of the fuel levy, which amounts to 10.2% um, of the local government share. To note, members, is that the division of revenue is not a total reflection of, of the expenditure on a local government level. Next slide. Members, as indicated, the 67.2% allocated towards the national sphere of government is further divided, and then 69% of the national share is transferred to other spheres of government and institutions. The table shows the departments that transfer about 50% of the share of the nationally raised um, revenue. Some of the uh, biggest amounts are transferred by corporate governance, 95.4%, but that includes the local government equitable share that they transfer um, to municipalities. In terms of social development, they transfer almost the entire budget to SASA. Human settlements transfer 97.1% and transport 97.9% um, of the national allocation. Next slide. Members, this slide only shows the transfers from national to provinces and local government. 11.5% is transferred to provinces in the form of conditional grants and 12.8% to municipalities, which includes the local government equitable share and conditional grants. Provinces receive 34.7% when the provincial equitable share is also included. Next slide. The total funding of 682.5 billion transferred to provinces in 2022 and over the medium term um, includes additional funding for teachers and learner support material. 15.6 billion um, is allocated to fund the COVID-19 responses and to reduce the effect of budget reductions on essential me medical goods and services. Amounts are included to hire um, additional education 
and other assistance in schools, and it is also part of the Presidential Employment Initiative. 988 million is added um, to ensure the social welfare budget grows by inflation, and then additional funding is also added in 2022 to help fund the cost um, of the non-pensionable cash gratuity for employees from the 2021 wage agreement. Over the medium term, allocations to conditional grants also include additional funding um, for medical interns and community services doctors. It includes additional funding for the district health program um, to continue with the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccinations. Uh, um, in 2022, additional funding is added um, also to um, for cash gratuity for employees. And in and 873 million is added to the Human Settlements Development Grant to um, rehabilitate houses, 471 million to the Education Infrastructure Grant to repair the schools, and 784 million to the Provincial Roads Maintenance Grant to repair flood damages, specifically in KZN. Next slide. Members, this table shows the provincial conditional grant increases from 2021-22. The biggest increase is 1.3 million for the district health program grant and 1.2 billion for the human resource and training grant. The human settlements development grant receives an additional 853 million in 2022, and the provincial roads maintenance grant um, is 680 million less than the revised estimate in 2021-22. Next slide. In terms of the local government transfers, changes has been made um, to the allocations and it includes a 1.2 billion increase in 22 to the municipal infrastructure grant, 838 million increase um, to the public transport network grant. This is a comparison from the 2021-22 financial year. Some of the amendments to the previous medium-term expenditure framework includes the local government equitable share. Um, everybody has mentioned that, um, and it has been increased by 4.2 billion in 22, 10.5 billion in 23, and 14.2 billion in 2024, specifically to expand the provision of free basic services to poor households. The public transport network grant allocations are reduced by 754 million in 2022 and 105 million in 2023, and it increases again in the outer year. These changes are made to align with the revised implementation plan of phase two of the My City project for the city of Cape Town. Next slide. So members, this is just a short narrative to show that um, while the budget of 2022 increases the local government equitable share by an average annual rate of 10.3%, it does not um, guarantee that the needs of indigent households will be sufficiently met. National transfers account for a relative small proportion of local government fiscal framework, and poor rural municipalities, however, receive most of their revenue from transfers. And research has also shown that um, the challenges faced by local government are systematic and are the direct result of the unrealistic assumptions that were made in designing the funding model in 1998 white paper on local government. Next slide, please. Um, members, the, this table is showing um, the total operating and capital revenue 
versus the operating and capital expenditure per item um, in local government. Just to mention that local government is self-financing or supposed to be self-financing with operating revenue on average accounting for more than 85%. Service charges and transfers are the two main or the largest sources of operating revenue. A compensation of employees and contract services have increased over time as a share of expenditure. And some of the issues in municipalities that also has been mentioned is the growing um, growing ground dependency of municipalities um, inadequate maintenance um, uh, on ex, um, maintenance expenditure, outsa uh, outstanding consumer debt, and underpricing of services. Members, we also did a calculation in specific in terms of the consumer debt, and you must also realize that interest are added to this debt, and interest has actually grown by 8.83%. Um, between 2017 and 2021. Next slide. Next, um, members, we thought it, it uh, will add a bit of value if we also look at um, the roles and responsibilities in terms of the monitoring of the implementation of policies, budgets and plans, which obviously also includes the implementation of the Division of Revenue. In terms of the DPME, they do monitor the annual performance plans through the QPR process, but there's no role for DPME with regards to the division of revenue. And specifically, we, we want to emphasize that um, there's a little monitoring of the performance outputs of conditional grants. We do monitor the expenditure, but all the emphasis is just on expenditure, but not on the real performance on conditional grants. The National Treasury has their responsibility in terms of monitoring and the, um, the development of different frameworks. And in terms of performance management of grants, they are not, it's not fully integrated into the standard systems that are provided in terms of the um, PFMA. Just also in terms of um, the division of revenue, um, the national departments must monitor information on financial and non-financial performance of programs um, partially or fully funded by the allocations in this act. And just also to mention that in terms of the division of revenue, any monitoring program or system that is used to monitor information on financial and non-financial performance of a program program partially or fully funded by a schedule four allocation must not impose excessive administrative responsibility on receiving office, um, offices beyond the provision of standard management and budget information by compatible and integrated with and not duplicate other um, relevant national, provincial and local spheres. In our um, latest uh, analysis on conditional grants members, we really um, found that when we received information from the National Treasury, we realized the huge administrative burden on departments to report on conditional grants. The, the report on health, for example, is almost 300 pages, and that is their responsibility on a quarterly basis. Next slide. This is just to show what is available in terms of quarterly information. Um, this is an example of the Comprehensive Agriculture Support Program um, members. Um, and just to show if we use the Eastern Cape as an example, um, if you request this information, you will receive um, exactly um, what the performance on, on 
expenditure as well as performance outputs are in the Eastern Cape. Until September, they've spent 28% of this grant. They projected to come. Um, they projected that they will complete um, 80 projects, but they only completed 22. Um, they estimated that they will support 2,300 beneficiaries, but they only supported 749. There were no targets um, set for support to farmers, but they supported 230. And the same 230 uh, farmers also um, accessed markets in terms of the target for job creation was 576, and they actually created 188. Um, and then the last one, the number of visits, they estimated or planned to do 80 vis uh, visits, but um, and none was, was actually done. Next slide. Uh, members, in the previous discussion on the Division of Revenue, many questions related to getting an understanding of the criteria used for the allocation of the conditional grants. Um, uh, 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 there was a lot of discussions in terms of this. So I found this very useful table on the Treasury website in terms of the Public Transport Network Grant. The table actually shows um, the cities that has an operational public transport system, the percentage that has been spent in 2020, 20, the contribution from the property rates and also efficiency indicators of this transport systems um, at this stage. Um, and if we just quickly look at um, George as an example, you will see that George, uh, George does have an um, uh, operating public um, transport system. Um, they've spent 89%. They are eligible for incentives, 18% has been covered um, from direct costs and then 5.1% uh, of the population is using this and they also spend 5% of their property rates um, revenue on the um, transport network. Next slide. Thank you members. Um, I will hand it over to our director. Uh, thank you Chairperson and thank you colleagues for, for a quick pushing through the slides. Thank you Chairperson. I think we're done this is just a summary slide to emphasize that uh, you know, national departments are required to really monitor information on, on, on both financial and non-financial information uh, you know, that are funded by, 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 by DORA over time and provide that information and as part of the site. The mandate of different spheres are addressed in the division of revenue, taking into account various uh, constitutional requirements, uh, and 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 relevant uh, up to up to relevant information again we raise the issue of availability of useful information policy making what what is the concern about uh, an availability of information for policy making in particular um, and of course we we highlight some of the changes that were we, we affected in the current uh, budget general competitive prior thank you so much uh, Chairperson and other members we now are ready for questions there are extra slides just to provide more information the national and both these spheres in this regard. Thank you so much, Jefferson, and on our members. Thanks, colleagues. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Team Finance. I mean, Team Treasury and Team, team PBO and Team FFC. My apologies about that. Thank you for the presentations, well informed. And now I will. Uh, request members to raise their hands if they want to speak or engage on the 
on both presentations. Um, and the secretariat and colleagues will help me in identifying the hands. I have, just write your names down. Uh, Honorable Detroit. Honorable uh, Okam, Honorable Ryder, Honorable Mletsani, uh, Honorable Mkiva, Honorable Karim, Colleagues from the provinces, you can also indicate your interests. I see Mpumalelo's iPhone. Who's Mpumalelo? Uh, Lubabalo? Honorable Saziwa from the Eastern Cape, Chairperson. Okay, Honorable Saziwa. Who else? Okay. Thank you, Honorable Members. Um, these are the only members that I could see. Uh, Honorable today, you can start. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair, I'll be brief. Um, I know that these figures that are shown um, were determined on the revenue that has been collected, but I want to find out um, what is PBO and FFC's opinion with regards to what is going to happen henceforth? with the um, effect of the, the Russian war, as well as the uh, possibility of the fuel levy that might be amended. Now, it's evident that the spending of, of grants in provinces isn't taking place at the correct rate. Um, I was actually shocked to see that Northwest, again, was underspending on the agricultural uh, grants. And um, that's in spite of the fact that in previous years, those uh, some of those grants were actually applied to uh, tend to other needs than it was uh, initially uh, provided for. So, uh, if FFC and PBO can maybe just elaborate on the impact that we might expect um, in the in the year that that lies ahead. Um, I know it's is difficult, and uh, one doesn't want to make predictions. But it's evident that um, more job losses might occur. Um, it's evident that more people will be dependent on municipalities and on government for assistance um, because the monthly expenses will just get higher. And then one thing that I noticed was the allocation for funds to support NSFAS was uh, largely high. And um, it's common knowledge that the amount of dropouts that we have in tertiary institutions, TVET colleges, et cetera, is also quite high. And that's in spite of the fact that basic education um, is actually in need of funds. I just want an opinion uh, from FFC and PBO if um, they might be of the opinion that uh, more funds must be availed for basic education than higher education uh, to ensure and see that um, children receive the necessary education because they have lost about, uh, some people say about 30% uh, 
of the syllabus the past two years, if I can just have their view on that. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, uh, Honorable Duterte, Honorable Okam. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable Chairperson, yeah, I, I would just like to find out what has, what the opinion are of the whole effect that this war in Ukraine and obviously the related increase in cost for South Africans will be. We are seeing that fuel prices will go through the roof. All indications are that it might reach uh, as high as 30 or even 40 rand per litre of fuel. Now, surely that hasn't been factored in when this budget was drafted and these allocations were made. But this will lead to municipalities and provinces uh, having a higher cost expenditure on those items. Especially if we also look at the effect that this will have on ESCOM. Uh, ESCOM relies a lot on diesel supply to have the country running on electricity. Now, it will have an effect and we might even see more load shedding. This will have a huge effect on these municipalities where uh, cost will increase and they have not been allocated money for that. What can we do to alleviate that problem? Uh, our municipalities make use of a lot of fuel and obviously this high increase has not been budgeted for or catered for. My, my other concern is that I do not see any relief or allocations higher than before for industries that also rely a lot on fuel. If you look at farmers, your input on farms uh, heavily relies on fuel, and that will have a huge impact on food security in our country if that is not catered for and if alleviation is not provided for those industries. So I think that the agricultural sector especially, but also the manufacturing sector, where people are going to uh, have a lot of troubles with uh, more load shedding and with higher fuel costs, it, it will have a knock-on effect on unemployment in our country. It will have a knock-on effect on food security in our country. And I don't see that we are doing things that can alleviate that properly. So that would be my question. How can we do that? And how can we then assist these municipalities in that regard? Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Honorable Ocamp, Honorable Raida. Good morning, Chairperson and colleagues. Uh, thank you for the presentations to those that presented and took the time to put the information together. I'm going to start with the FFC, if I may. Uh, Mr. Singh, you spoke about the inflation uh, impact, and I think inflation is in, was inevitable, uh, considering the um, economic stimulus package that, packages that have been produced around the world. Um, Mr. Mkiva, if you can mute for us, please, if you wouldn't mind. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the, the various uh, economic stimulus packages that have been introduced are the bound to cause some inflation in the short term. And I think this has been exacerbated, and, and, and Billy has just uh, spoken about the war in Ukraine and the impact that's going to have on fuel prices and so on in the short term. Uh, inflation outlook... In the medium term, so so when I say medium term, I'm talking about possibly you know six months, uh, six months hence and, and further. If you can maybe talk a little bit around that, and then you know I, I want to tie. I, I really enjoyed FFC's presentation today, but I want to tie a whole bunch of things. So Mr. Jonas, uh, the, the Sasha that gave us hard palpitations until um, she turned on her camera, 
Uh, and Eddie, I think everyone spoke about the fact that, um, uh, you know, there's, there's small increases uh, in certain places. There's negative growth in allocations in others. And I think it was Eddie who spoke about the fact that uh, if, if one considers the, um, uh, the increases are below inflation or in line with inflation, it's actually zero growth that's happening. And I think that that's quite important. And Treasury put out an important indicator and signal to us uh, in our discussions last week. And I spoke about the fact that um, there should not be an over-reliance in the allocation analyses on incrementalism. So what they were saying is that don't just look at taking last year's package uh, and this year's package and, uh, you know, saying, well, you know, education is only increasing by X percent, you know, four, four and a half percent or whatever the case may be. That's that's incrementalism. And we, we're trying to move away from that. And I think that is welcomed. And I, I do believe that revaluation um, of priorities needs to take place uh, within every single department in the spending. And and I noted that a lot of your analysis was based on incrementalism. Um, so from the FFC's point of view, I'd just like to hear in terms of, of re-evaluation of projects, essentially zero-based budgeting. What uh, what have you seen happening in terms of the budget? Uh, have you drilled down into departmental spend and had a look at the allocations on, on, on specific projects? Um, have you seen any benefits of the pilot project of zero-based budgeting um, so far? And I think that perhaps this was best shown, and I can't remember if it was Sasha or Eddie that highlighted it, but it was Eddie, it was the housing, uh, the Human Settlements Development Grant, um, where there's negative growth. But the fact is that I think that we've had strong signals from that department over the last couple of years that there will be a move away from providing uh, top structures uh, and a move towards providing site and service um, uh, packages and, and providing people service stands so they can actually uh, continue to develop on their own. Um, um, so just on Mr. Jonas's presentation, I noted that you had the allocations by financial classification, but you didn't indicate very strongly on the infrastructural spend. Now, then I think Sasha and, and, and Mr. Singh also um, uh, brought a little bit of infrastructure information in. But very worrying in Mr. Tseng's uh, presentation was the fact that in the, over the medium term, I think that local government spending on infrastructural uh, investment is is reducing, in fact. And I think this is a very worrying uh, picture. And, and, and the signal uh, that was spoken about is very concerning because we are supposed to, in terms of President uh, Ramaphosa's um, ERRP, um, we're supposed to be looking the economic recovery uh, plan uh, we're supposed to be looking at an infrastructure-led recovery. And I think that those were quite concerning. Um, just on uh, on local government, I think that uh, Mr. Singh's comments about unspent funds and then returning funds uh, is an incredibly important thing for this committee to note and perhaps underlines my dis uh, our discussions yesterday uh, where we highlighted the, the need for the Auditor General to come in and, and present to us a little bit more quickly after the financial year end so that we can evaluate and see where there are problems in terms of 
uh, underspending or unspent funds that are returned to Treasury. Um, I think that, that that would be that would be excellent. Um, then, yeah, number of people commented on on the inflation-linked uh, increase to local equitable share uh, and saying, well, you know, that's it's, it's a reasonably good sign. It's actually not. It's damn scary because the reality is that if we consider that um, ESCOMs, uh, so what is equitable share for? It's there to 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 fund the services to to the poorer households. The, the fact is that 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 those input costs are growing way quicker than inflation. So if you look at the uh, increase that ESCOM has signaled already, um, we are you know nine nine point something percent away above inflation. Um, if you look at the various water boards, I know Rand Water Board is proposing around 11%. Um, I'm not sure what uh, where, where that's going to settle. Um, I know that they normally send out a, a first warning shot and then we settle at a slightly lower amount. But certainly it's above inflation. So increasing equitable share uh, by anything less than the 10, 11% that ISCOM and, and, and the water boards are, are putting out there. Because that ultimately is the biggest uh, expense that equitable share is intended to fund. Um, an increase below 10, 11% is actually not an increase, it's going backwards. And specifically, if we look at population growth, um, if we look at urbanization, you're going to end up with certain municipalities in a much more difficult position than they are right now. Um, and let's face it, they're in a difficult position already. Uh, we heard about the fact that we've got so many unfunded budgets in local government. Um, Efficiency of spend, Mr. Singh touched on. I think value for money is also an important comment, but I wanted to add that you know not only efficiency of spend, but but you know, you know uh, I don't want to say it too loud because she's next door. But my my wife is very efficient at spending, but it's the value for money that that, that one needs to interrogate. Um, and then moving on to the FFC's presentation, I actually was very pleasantly surprised. Lots of good information that came out today. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not going to interrogate it very deeply, but I do, I, I do just want to say I was prepared to write the PBO off this morning, um, but uh, uh, good information that came out of the presentations, uh, good analysis and a lot of food for thought, um, and I think very factual, um, so we will uh, digest, digest some of those uh, numbers and charts, and I really appreciate the fact that there was so much information brought in. Um, and a much less controversial analysis. So thank you to the PBO for your, your efforts today. I just uh, thought I'd note that. Thank you, Chair. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Honorable Ryder. Uh, the next is uh, Honorable Muletani. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Let me, uh, good morning to Honorable Members and all the officials. Let me acknowledge the, present, the both uh, presentations. Uh, my question will go to PBO. In your slides, you mentioned that research by Public Affairs Research Institute found that over more than two decades, local government has not been able to fulfill their conflicting objectives and their financial viability has suffered. Also taking into consideration that local government is playing a critical role 
as a first line of interaction between citizens and the, and the government. Is the distribution model still relevant in resolving challenges of local government? That allocates around 9.1% of the budget allocation to local government. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Muletzani. Um, Honorable Saziwa. Thank you, Honorable Chair and the members of the committee and the FFC as well as the PBO. Chair, can I take off my camera now? Thank you, Chair. Chair, my first uh, input will be based on the presentation by FFC. Of course, appreciating both presentations that are found to be empowering. Just on the presentation by FFC, the first area that I wanted to check with them would be the, the, the proper analysis of uh, performance of uh, state-owned enterprises that is regarded as being poor and very inefficient in financial performance. I want to check whether then what is the proposal that uh, FFC has put forward in addressing this challenge? Whether part of that would be the rationalization of some of these state-owned enterprises. Uh, also, maybe changing their business models sometimes, whether in terms of scheduling of those uh, state-owned enterprises, maybe from schedule C to schedule B and so forth and so forth. I think that's the first thing that I wanted to check with them. And if then they've made uh, such proposals, what has been the reaction of the government? And you are the national treasury in this regard. The some issue is what we all know: the ballooning, uh, you know, expenditure on compensation of employees. Because this takes me back to this takes me back to 1996 when we had what was called the National Framework Agreement that talked to what you know form of a public service ought to have what skills, what is going to be the size, and so forth and so forth. Therefore, in the in government, there are demands that are said to be labor-intensive, like your education, your health, I'm just making this true. And therefore, in really that in those demands that are labor-intensive, there's no way that you cannot have uh, this, uh, you know, Spanish Act term, not a ballooning. But of course, also they need to observe the speed of 85-15% in terms of your budget speed. But has FFC then observed exactly at what salary levels is are these, uh, you know, COE expenditure increasing? Is it a level of uh, senior management or at what we can call the foot soldiers of other departments? And what are they suggesting going forward? Thirdly, I've seen that uh, in terms of the current budget, uh, there's been allocation given to the Department of Basic Education to hire more educators. 
However, the, another challenge that is there in education is the issue of infrastructure. We talk about poorly built schools, schools, you know, built too much, too asbestos, roofing, uh, other things, and so forth, some planks. Now, I've seen a, a, an absence of that in terms of the budget. Whether are they saying then, if there's been absent, it has been absent, have they seen any increase on the infrastructure, on education infrastructure grant that can offset what I'm seeing as a, you know, as something that is missing in the budget by the national treasure. The fourth area for FSC for me, Chair, would be, are there any proposals that uh, FFC is putting forward in, on, in mitigating against economic growth projections not being met? Because as we have seen, they've landed in each and every you know, slide that if these growth cannot be realized projections, chances are that departments will be under pressure. What proposals are they putting forward in mitigating against this? The last issue for them would be Many of our municipalities, Chair, in particular those are, that are coming from poor rural areas, have low revenue generation prospects. And if you juxtapose those with their lack of capacity to spend grants, be it direct or indirect. Therefore, I wanted to check, uh, is FFC observing the fact that our municipalities cannot be a size fits all? And that one of the reasons why some of them don't have chances of generating their revenues because of how they've been structured, which I usually call a collection of poverty. Well, what is the take of, of FFC around the budget observation that I've made? On the Palantir's budget office chair, just for an update on the part of the state provincial legislature, is that uh, we have passed the money bills and related matters and the premier is already ascended. So when the process of rolling out, in order for us to have this budget, calendar budget office, so that we can be able therefore to interface properly with treasury and all the departments in the province chair, just for information that one chair. Two last questions for them, for me, is that what is your take, PBO? on the fact that uh, both two houses of parliament national, that is in National Assembly and NSOP, are governed by FIMBRA, but get assessed in terms of financial performance by PF, through PFME. And that, uh, and also get funded by a respective department that was to account to oversighted by these two legislative arms of government. Because for me, if as parliaments and legislatures, we oversight over the executive to that department, we support it to determine our own budget, of course, in line with the relevant legislation. But the issue of us being told that for you, legislature, you are counted as, a, as one of the departments, yet you have to conduct oversight over the very same department that is going to say how much you have to get, which sometimes cuts on your ability to conduct you know, you know, proper oversight of, because of lack of funding that is going to be enough. The last issue which I want to show the budget office is that I've seen maybe you can, you, you can respond to this. 
whether the issue of the implementation of national insurance and the budget that's supposed to go there has been part of the budget allocated to the Department of you know, Health nationally. And whether in the, within that budget, is there any focus that you've seen on developing permanent care as a way of rebutting such matters that become a burden on the development of health? Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Swaziwe. Very important issues there, and also giving other uh, committees by course, uh, part course, uh, is, committees like a Joint Committee on Financial Management uh, on Parliament. So I think the, there's a lot uh, to take into consideration there and other relevant committees, but including this committee on appropriations and uh, those in the NA as well. Uh, I'll now request uh, Honorable Mkiva to take uh, the opportunity to make his uh, comments. Uh, no, th thank you, Chair. Can I, I'm not sure whether I am visible enough. Uh, if uh, maybe the network is not allowing, I will ask uh, to switch off my video. I won't be long, Chair. I just wanted to, to, to check, uh, Chair, that uh, when it comes to rural development, if it were to be possible that uh, we can actually quantify the percentage of the national fiscal that actually goes to rural development, particularly as it talks to infrastructure investment. I'm, I'm saying that simply because uh, there's a huge backlog in terms of what is obtaining uh, on the ground in rural um, communities. If if we could be helped, um, maybe you may yeah. may switch off the video. We can't hear you anymore. And now you have frozen, Honorable Mkiva. Yeah, I'm here. Can you? I I I I can't hear you. Okay. Yeah, you can go on. Yeah. No, I, I, I had just wanted to, to, to talk to the issue of um, the, the actual spend that um, uh, we put uh, to the rural communities of the country, especially as, as, uh, insofar as infrastructure investment is concerned. Uh, if there was a possibility to quantify that in percentage form so that we sort of get a sense on annual basis as to what goes there, um, uh, in, in infrastructure development, whether it's grant or what is allocated in municipalities and, and the department itself that is responsible for rural development. Um, so that we, we can be able to know exactly, you know, uh, paying attention to detail so that we, we, we can then make a proper assessment of the progress that we are making in so far as that is concerned. And then secondly, there's a saying that when, when, you, when you are confronted with a deeper crisis, you sort of have deeper opportunities equally. So we are in a state of financial dire straits as a result of the outbreak of COVID, which has led to us uh, increasing our borrowings and uh, increasing as well our expenditure 
and and then that manifests into the repayments that we have to 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 pay, which have also increased. I just want to check with both FFC as, as well as the, the PBO. If we were to really meet our financial projection, um, what, what is it that we will have to do which would be a game changer to deal with this pertinent situation in a manner that is extraordinary? Because my sense is that we, we seem to be so relaxed that we deal with this in a very ordinary way when I compare with the previous financial positions and um, a financial account that um, we are not dealing with this in a very robust and in a very revolutionary way so that we are able to turn around the situation. What is it that we have to do extraordinarily? Besides uh, the issue of the borrowings, if I may make an example, for instance, other colleagues are referring to the issue here, that given what is happening with the, with the intervention, with the military operation that the Russian Federation is doing in, in the Far East, it's going to impact uh, on the oil prices and so on. And I think, for me, why can't we explore, for instance, a bilateral agreement between South Africa and Venezuela, wherein uh, when uh, President Hugo Chavez was here in 2008, he, he gave us a greenfield, as it were, to look at an oil block, which would give us a very cheap uh, you know, access to crude. Uh, and given the fact that now ESCOM is burning a lot of diesel in order to keep the lights on, why can't we explore such things? Why are we always going with the flow Can instead of hear looking? Honorable Mkiva? You can no longer hear me. We can hear Yes, unfortunately. Okay. I hope that you, you heard my, my last... Uh, a statement, Chair, as to why can't we explore some of the long-standing bilateral agreements, including that we have with the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela, wherein we're offered by that government a greenfield uh, to explore so that we can have access to much more reasonable uh, oil in terms of price, which would help us in many accounts to mitigate our challenges right now, including the fact that ESCOM is burning diesel to a greater extent to keep the lights on. So I'm saying that rather than relying on very uh, excessive, uh, expensive oil that we get elsewhere in, in Africa and the world, why can't we pursue that which is offered to us at a very minimal price, which would help us to mitigate our challenges in all fronts? Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Mkiva. We lost each other. Uh, somewhere towards the end, but I hope that the uh, other members and the colleagues on the platform were able to hear you. Can I now request um, or allow Honorable Karim to take the opportunity to make his... Uh... Yeah, thank you, Chairperson. Actually, we did hear, at least I did, everything that Ani said. I think maybe it's on your side. I gather from Dennis, he did too. So anyway, Jefferson, I, I think uh, on the last note from Comrade Solani, uh, maybe we should send him as our ambassador to Venezuela because he has been there. And we should ask him to do a report on his visit there, I think, as the poet. 
uh, and in the councils, yeah, I think he went there. But on a, uh, a more serious note, you know, I noticed it's interesting that it comes from the FFC. That on slide 30, is it? Yeah. Uh, Roman numeral 4, their position seems to be, unless I misunderstood it, that they support the decision to put more money into poor projects and in financing the economic, obviously, aspects of uh, growth to the extent uh, money will help in that regard. But they don't see it as, as they say, this approach does, does not jeopardize the part to deficit reduction and fiscal consolidation, though they warn about the next first increases, right? Because there will be a financial burden to bear for a long time to come. But it's nice to hear it from them because at least they are seen uh, as more like, let's say, technical and neutral. And obviously, they have more skills than we do as average MPs because people have been counterposing the two aspects. So it's good to see that. Then uh, they say something on one of the slides, Jefferson, I can't recall, uh, something about more significant structural reforms focused on artisanal skills, I think that's it, to address unemployment. I think I know what they say, but maybe I don't. Uh, so maybe they want to help us to understand a bit more what they're saying there. Then have they done work? I didn't pick this up. Maybe they have on the social uh, or the BIG or whatever form of substitute will come for the SRD. Have they done any work in that regard? If indeed they have, why don't they let us have it and we can look at it and maybe get a briefing from them. Then I know there's uh, all these consequences, negative, of course, with the Russia-Ukraine war. But now, you know, I also read for what it's worth that there are, on the other hand, not that it will make up for the negative consequences, obviously, but... I'm just interested, does uh, PBO, FFC have anything to say? There's statements I thought I saw, which at least on the surface, to me at least, make some sense that, you know, the price of coal will probably increase, which means our exports uh, of coal will draw more revenue, and maybe other commodities too. Are there any positive sides to it? Not that the positive sides chairperson can ever undo the horrendous consequences of what it's happening, and the consequences, needless to say, disproportionately for the poor and disappointed. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Karen. Uh, I think uh, I'm having, I'm experiencing a problem uh, in terms of the connectivity because even yourself, your last part, I could not. Uh, oh, God. Zolani so can chair, actually. I mean, if, if, if you get kicked can out. Can you hear me now? Well, I can. can I and if the Ida can. Okay. I think uh, um, I will have some few inputs before I allow FFC and the PBO to come in. And um, I will first start by saying I, we all know that uh, as per the declaration or the call, by the president on the SONA, the priority of uh, this government is to make sure that uh, uh, everything and anything we improve on the economy. So my question to both the uh, FFC having said that and PBO is what are the specific step steps that uh, needs to be taken by government to ensure the economic growth 
to ensure that uh, this economic growth returns to its levels before COVID-19 so that we as the Appropriations Committee can make an impact in advising and making sure that we play our role in assisting and advising the, the government to make sure that we go we can go back to 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 uh, pre COVID nineteen. Do you see that uh, possibility? What is your view in terms of that? And my second uh, point is uh, uh, to to both of you is that. Uh, what impact will the current local government allocations? I know that uh, most money has been allocated to local government. We are happy with that. But um, the, 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 the municipalities that are in distressed, financial distressed, and those who have... Uh, Challenge challenges in terms of the 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 the, the capacity and those that have adopted the unfunded mandates and those that uh, owe uh, ESCOM. Can can you maybe assist us in terms of the allocation that has been increased to municipalities? How do you think? Uh, will these uh, municipalities, I mean, this uh, allocation have a positive impact and will make sure that uh, the end users or the beneficiaries do benefit from, from, from these allocations, allocation from, from, from treasure. Um, I also want to know your view uh, in terms of the proposed shifting of the school backlog grant to education infrastructure grant. Whether you think it's a good move or not. And if it's a good move, maybe a highlight to, 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 to us, or if it's not, also highlight to us so that we can check the balances between the two views. And lastly, to also still to both uh, PBO and FFC, I would like to know that uh, what could be done to ensure that uh, the pro to, to ensure that the uh, proper de uh, debt that we are facing as a country is being uh, stabilized. Uh, those are my few comments. Uh, uh, I'm trying to manage the, the 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 connectivity. I hope you have heard all my my comment, and I will allow FFC to give responses and comment or advices in terms of our questions, and uh, thank members for the good questions that they have put forward, and thereafter PBO will follow, while I still sort out my. My, my 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 connectivity over to you ffc uh, thank you uh, chair and honorable members uh, for the good very good questions uh, i shall give my first attempt at the macroeconomic and the uh, the dynamic uh, responses uh, thereof um tricky one uh, but Yes, Honourable uh, uh, Ryder, they had mentioned about inflation. I would draw, Honourable uh, Chair members, uh, your attention back to all the way our uh, annual submission for 21-22, uh, 
that would be two years ago. Um, back then already we were raising issues regarding inflation uh, trends um, because obviously with COVID there was an initial drop off and uh, the, the decline in the rates of price increases. Um, but through our research, we just want to again highlight here that uh, when you delve deeper, when we delve deeper into decomposing the, uh, and separating between core inflation, that it would be food, fuel, education, health, the basic, uh, what we say, you know, the necessities, um, the, the core inflation was actually higher than non-core. Non-core meaning things like alcoholic beverages and, and, and luxury uh, related items, entertainment and that sort of thing. Um, so that is one thing to watch um, now uh, and back then and also now uh, as uh, the inflation is also going through uh, some volatility and choppy winds uh, ahead. Uh, obviously, due to uh, the the global as well as uh, domestic um, uh, factors, which brings me then to this issue uh, more international, I guess, uh, external environments related. Um, I, I think this would be a prime example um, because asking about the impact of uh, the conflicts uh, 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 in the northern hemisphere is that this would be a prime example of how South Africa we are in, uh, ended up uh, in uh, this Catch-22 situation. And I want to draw, uh, your, uh, refer you to, Honorable Chairman, uh, to our redemption schedule for our debt. Um, you will see that uh, in the majority of it, if not all, I think there is only one one redemption that is still denominated in Japanese yen, um, but the majority of it is in U.S. dollars, and meaning that we need to pay back uh, in the in terms of redeeming our debts, our, our our sort of past sins, if you like, uh, in fiscal terms. Um, uh, uh, in the U.S. dollar. So, so we can't sever our relationships. We can't not maintain that uh, relationships in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, of redeeming our debt. And so essentially um, that is our relationship uh, requirement, if you like, uh, with, the, uh, with the Western countries. And, and that also means then what with about uh, our a relationship with the East. Well, uh, most of our imported goods are from the East. Um, so, on so in terms of trade terms and in terms of industries, because most of our what we import, machineries and so forth, are our um, physical capitals uh, that machineries that is required. Uh, uh, you know, in conjunction with our labor inputs uh, to make the economy grow and produce. Um, so, so really, um, and, and here I want to say that the Commission does not express itself on either side of this uh, conflict issue, um, but it, uh, what we would like to I would uh, like to highlight using this as a prime example is how one uh, may find itself in such a precarious situation where we can, essentially we can't 
be falling on either side of, of this uh, argument. And that is a, a, a really a, a, a unfortunate uh, situation to be in um, uh, because it means essentially that South Africa as a country can't take on a position internationally um, at, at its own uh, will. Uh, so, so that is uh, one thing to watch out for. Um, and then that also means, again, politics drives economics. So um, with that uh, bind, if you will, constraints and, and, uh, and, and that either side we can't uh, fall on, um, that, that, is the, uh, that means that we, we also from it uh, say there is an external impact. What can we do about it? means that we, uh, nothing, really, uh, very little, um, because of these uh, two forces at, uh, at, at, uh, at sort of at uh, a, a collision course of each other. Um, the next point I'd like to bring in uh, is uh, infrastructure spend. Um, uh, Honorable Chair members, um, at our uh, briefing to the standing committee on appropriations. Um, so it is good to also see that uh, both um, houses essentially uh, have their have you their um, you know finger on the right pulse on the same pulse. Is uh, infrastructure spend? Um, our answer to it is one thing to note is that um, infrastructure spend for different spheres of different purposes. Um, this we highlighted it that uh, briefing last week to the standing committee where we say uh, that um, if you pull up the actual spending um, and and really go down to where did the money go uh, for infrastructure spending, you'll see that uh, for national uh, governments it would be more for uh, things like uh, building administrative building because remember that uh, for most of the concurrent functions. Um, National design, uh, designs policy, uh, and then the provinces or subnational spheres uh, uh, and local government implement. And then for provinces, it would be about more social services infrastructure, right? Schools and things like that. And then finally, local government would be more about basic services: water, electricity, uh, you know, refuse, and that kind of thing. Uh, and roads, sort of cross-sectional, you will find. Road spending, uh, you know, there's the provincial revenue. I mean, sorry, the provincial road maintenance grants, and then if you go to the local government, there is also the, you know, both side of this little urban development grants, and then the 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 the, the metro road infrastructure uh, and investment there. Um, so, so what we are saying is that um, it's very uh, one has to be wary of uh, aggregating all of them and summing them all up. Uh, to one bundle and call it infrastructure, right? Um, so, and, and so sometimes when we say national uh, infrastructure spend, uh, so remember that uh, most, some of the spending actually is through also, you know, things like uh, the central and other um, sort of entities that spends and that actually builds and spends those infrastructure. So it's, it's very uh, complex. Uh, and it's not something that simply we see the aggregate number going down. We think that you know that that means that we are not investing. Um, and also, then lastly, to the spending uh, sort of budgeting to spending issue, that, um, specifically on also the uh, the touching on the HSDG uh, Human Development Development Grants. 
and 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 the the residuals as surplus thereof. Um, Honourable Member uh, uh, Ryder, um, you, you picked on the rights grant actually to uh, ex uh, to serve as an example for this. HSDG used to be the grant money that is circulates um, between national provinces and local governments in terms of um, uh, spending and cash uh, liquidity residuals. How does it happen? Well, national obviously allocates HSDG to provinces. Provinces, uh, some of them, then they will engage in this sort of well, who is doing top structure and who is doing the, the bottom, the base or the land issue. And obviously when it comes, and then it, it engages in this uh, sort of who is building the house. Uh, it's a uh, question. And then invariably, there was always uh, money left over um, uh, in between the three spheres because of different financial years reporting and also when the, these houses are built. Um, so for many, many years, um, it, it really, uh, HSDG is essentially um, uh, went into this sort of tumble dryer situation where money just gets recycled, recycled over and rolled over and retained uh, within provinces over many, many years. Um, and so this reduction now that we see um, uh, is is actually uh, reasonable in the sense that um, that it's through those many years of expenditure review that we find uh, that. Uh, that actually this money could be better spent elsewhere um, because we always keep on sitting with these residuals. Um, as there, and that whole thing sort of relates to the uh, sort of zero-based budgeting. Um, currently, government uh, in South Africa, we don't, uh, when we say zero-based budgeting, one would should uh, think in terms of, well, carrying from revenue side uh, to budget, right? Because zero base means uh, revenue ex equals expenditure, or at least in that direction. But that's not how uh, uh, the whole budgeting process works. Um, uh, if you if you attend and and uh, pay attention in the these TCF budget forum and budget council meetings, is that they budget from expenditure side. And the way they do it is they take the bottom line of the expenditure and then they apply first the inflation adjustments um, percentage to it and then and then uh, also devise uh, while well, credit be granted is that uh, they also think about uh, what 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 does that mean for the expenditure ceiling and then it's always that pull and the pull but going a uh, pull and a push but at the end, if you go back and look at um, what does zero-based budgeting mean um, in its truest sense, uh, it should have been uh, that we that we, we budget from what we have, uh, not uh, what we uh, spend um, using a lot of money that uh, is borrowed. Um, also, Honorable Mkiva said um, regarding the, the crisis and the opportunity parity, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, I remember. Um, yes, a great crisis uh, does present great opportunities, and but also taking into account that Catch-22, uh, the squeezing from both sides uh, uh, question uh, that I mentioned earlier regarding what is our position and uh, therefore the economic impact um, of the whole Northern Hemisphere and what, what where do we look um, so I'm just say um, why not Venezuela? Um, it depends on what we gain uh, in return, apart from oil, 
because um, because we it wouldn't help us either um, uh, if we if we uh, uh, sort of upset other parts of uh, other aspects of our uh, international relations. Uh, and, but all of that, I would also like to add on is this relationship uh, that it is it should be uh, uh, justifiable uh, to for South Africa to really challenge this concept uh, is the the our relations with rating agencies only after that only after the this conflict in northern hemisphere started that uh, the russian uh, so sovereign debt is downgraded to junk but you remember that our uh, status i mean was uh, already junk from at the beginning of the um, of the uh, of the uh, of the covid um, so onset so there is, I think, there is a point to debate uh, about the unfairness in this. Are we saying that we are worse off than you know, and when when a, than a country in 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 conflict? Um, I think this is something that so so from a perspective, balanced perspective, and looking across the global economy and as well as the fiscal um, environments. Uh, and and relations is uh, I think there is uh, we were a bit uh, unfairly treated in that respect, um, especially from the ratings uh, agencies. Um, so, uh, but that that is another negotiation or debate to be had uh, between Treasury as well uh, between us and the rating agencies. Um, and uh, lastly, regarding uh, Honourable Karim's points. Um, what are the structural? Uh, I think it's uh, it's all in our also introductions to the Joint Committee, including of this uh, committee, is that uh, those labour rigidities, uh, our structural reforms, especially to do with something that's important as ESCOM. I mean, I mean, it's been years that we've been talking that we're since 20, 2000 and, um uh, six, seven uh, already when, when the, the first instance of these rolling blackouts started, um, as well as uh, our big research, um, our research only as co the commission has tabled in its annual submission is uh, we draw attention to two major limitations uh, to, 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 to this particular issue. Uh, one is uh, the compri comprised of one being the dynamic response uh, of the markets or household behavior to such a grant um, and, and, and the physical implications thereof. Second is that uh, the implementation limitations, um, that's how, uh, that those two we can't model. Okay, well, we haven't modeled. Um, and I think that those two limitations uh, together uh, builds towards our position taken at the big, and, and which all boils down to uh, this R word, uh, unspoken, sort of uh, uh, unspoken R word, the reprioritization. South Africa, we actually do have the money. I mean, the tax revenue is 25% of GDP. You have, um, you know, a, Big and very uh, and, and historically being quite uh, efficient government, 
but uh, recently deteriorated much, much too quickly for its own for the good of the people. Um, so we really think that it is a problem about a question about reprioritizing uh, the money that is left sitting redundant that went on the irregular expenditure went on the wasteful expenditure. We are looking at 177 billion standing corrected uh, uh, according to uh, AGSS last uh, uh, audit and two or three billion wasteful, identified wasteful and fruitless expenditure. So there, that's the money. And not forgetting that that is not, uh, that, that that hasn't counted in all the surpluses and cash residuals and, and, and that's money sitting idle in provincial revenue fund or local government's uh, bank accounts. And so all of those together really uh, suggest that there is a path, there is a, 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 a viable path for South Africa to reprioritize and make itself more efficient in terms of uh, not just spending, uh, as honorable uh, members, as someone said, uh, but the value, uh, improve on that value uh, of spend. Um, thank you, Chair. That's, uh, if, uh, if you, uh, that's our answer to the questions. I hope that suffices. Uh, Jefferson, should we, we continue? Uh, yeah, you can continue, my brother. Carry on. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chair. Thank you so much for, for the input for the questions. Uh, there are quite a lot of questions to, uh, at first there. I thought it sounds as if we are uh, discussing the fiscal framework, but I think it's an important point that I came in because we're also looking at the fiscal framework for provincial and local government. I'll, I'll quickly go through some of the points. Um, and then I, I want Dr. Mohammed to also come in to, to on, around the discussion about macroeconomic uh, issues that were raised by, by the committee. Um, uh, just a first point: the, the, we, in, in our we will be issuing uh, our economic brief, uh, chair and members later in the day, which we try to highlight some of the earlier signs of the the implications for Russia and uh, Ukraine on on our. Microeconomic, but, but I think we on, on and some of the implications for public finances and some of the earlier signs is still a moving target, uh, but there are already signs that there will certainly be impact in, 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 in households, in economy, and, and also some of the issues. I mean, one of the issues that we've seen over two year, two weeks' time already the, the wheat price has increased by uh, 60%, uh, and, and we know what does that mean for bread and, and some of the native products. Um, we've seen the, the, the price of oil pushing quite up. And I think in our uh, a brief on, on fiscal framework, brief to the committees, we did highlight that already there are also some of the potential gains when you look at uh, um, you know, the, some of the minerals, I mean, some of the, the mining uh, extracted uh, minerals were to export where you know, if sanctions are imposed on, on, on Russian and some of those, we, we like to see export increasing in, in our economy, which leads more uh, you know, which could lead to increasing the tax base in the money sector. So there are some mix in, in that regard. But I think in our quicker economic brief, which will circulate later, I would like to draw members to really look into it and some of the specific inputs that we think will, will, will support, will give members information in terms of what are some of the likely implications of the conflict in, in the, in the Russian and, 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 um, uh, and, and the Ukraine there. 
Um, and the second point, um, it's really around the, the institutional in, in, incrementalism that was raised by on the right there. It's a very interesting point, um, really, because um, my view, you know, I think the, the, I agree that there a lot of focus on the numbers in, in the country really takes us away from really issues that are affecting our society and economy in this regard. And, and, I, and, my, and our wish, my wish is to really get to a point whereby we focus really on the outcomes of, of, of spending or the budget as a whole or the fiscal framework outcomes. In our analysis, we start by showing the needs of the society and economy, which are to be addressed by some of the allocations. And, and for us, that's very important. The budget has to be seen within those boundaries on, on realizing the constitutional requirements and constitutional provisions to start ourselves for as, as, a, as a country, but as a society also. And, and then moving away from, uh, you know, ransom sense and so on, because that doesn't really help us because we've done so much ransom sense over the past few years, but if not, we're still going to realize some of the developmental uh, indicators we've set ourselves in, in, in the national development plan, the constitution, and so many other because we focus a lot on the residence and supports, which is important. I'm not saying it's not important to focus on that, but equally, it's just an, it's not an, it's, it's, it's an end itself. The end itself has to be realizing the development outcomes, which also enable us to deal with some of the efficiencies within, within the system. The point around the, 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 the social wage, I mean, coming back to the point raised around the, 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 the local government exemption, I think the emphasis we make there, Honorable Latani, really in, in the fiscal framework discussion, there was debate around the issue of 60% that, that has been spent social wage. And our emphasis was to say how much of that really goes to where it is supposed to be, to be going. And, and our, in our, our argument, the analysis based on so the research by, done by other reputable institutions, really talks to that phone to say um, you have 10 points. 10 million households who, who are eligible to, to support on this uh, allocation, but the money only uh, the money goes to support 3 million households. And clearly that shows that uh, at times, in many instances, quite evidently, the funds get redirected to where they're not supposed to go. Hence, you see, see some of these needs ever, ever perpetrating. And I think from oversight perspective, both the, the, the provinces and, 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 the, and the, the local governments, important to understand that um, you know, the implications of redirecting funds for what they include, particularly the indigent policy is not going to realize that you're not going to deal with some of these uh, issues. Again, it raises the issue of what really capacities are there to realize those, those mechanisms if funds are redirected to where, where they're supposed to be. Redirected to where they're supposed to be. Um, the, 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 the point, I'm going to quickly jump around because now so that I can give other colleagues some point, some time. The, the, the issue around um, what should we do to, um, you know, to, to get growth going, it's a very important point because I think what I've, what, what, what I've done recently, I looked at the, the South Africans, uh, our macroeconomic performance and outcomes for the past year since 1994. Uh, but, but, but largely trying to look at what is in the role of government in, in those periods from 1994 until 2019, and also trying to raise the questions around what does it mean post um, the, the COVID-19, what economic planning can we think it should really be about? And, and there's a particular period which I want to draw the committee uh, to, which is between the 2004 and 2008 period. 
why? But that's when the time where we've seen really uh, a growth, a growth of around um, 4.8 percent in the economy, in, in, also including a growth per capita of three, around 3 percent, or 3.5 percent on average over the time of the growth. And again, it's a time where we've seen, um, you know, the period before then where we've seen an increase in employment to 8 million from 4 million. Um, but it's a time when during that time, just during that period, we've seen actually the the unemployment is reducing by 3 million, you know, or creating, the economy creating almost 3 million jobs within, within that period, standing from, from, from what it has escalated in previous period towards that, that time. And, and, and the interest rates, the real interest rates, nominal interest rates had also declined quite heavily during that time where we've seen and the, the nominal interest rate of sitting at 70% uh, around 20, around around period before then, and it came quite slowly down to around 12%. And 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 nomin- uh, a real interest rate came down from 8.5% to 4.8%. And it's again, particularly around that time when we look at public investment, or let's start, let's take uh, government final consumptions grew on average um, and um, grew on per year by 4.5, 4. 4.8%. There was a lot of role played government tried to push that uh, growth, uh, focusing, scrutinizing zooming again on the public investment, which increased by 5, 15% or so in that period. Uh, looking at government, general government investment increased by 11% per year, but also public corporations coming into the party by increasing uh, the investment, the real investment coming by 19%. And certainly, um, that period really, we've seen a lot of jobs created, and that's when real estate played an important role. And, and coming back without really echoing myself, echoing what I often say a lot of times, clearly, one of in our presentation we raised before, uh, well, I mean, the reason why I also show this trend is very important to understand that all spheres of government have a role, has a role to play in pushing public investment in the economy and, and understanding that decline that, that decline of investment leads to actually rest of the economy and, and so on. And really, that period of 2004 and 2008 really is seen as a very expansionary macroeconomic policy period of what we had in our economy. And again, I'm saying this because we need to understand that each and every sphere has a role in place within, within, within that time. And, and one of the points that was raised again around how we get economic growth, how we get economy to, to grow beyond where um, to get its potential is really an issue of importance of understanding the need to have a structural transformation economy. The, use a fiscal policy to support the private sector economy. Look at, look at, look at agriculture. It's certainly when you see there isn't actually much spending in, I mean, there's underspending in agriculture, and it has a very important role where you are able to see heavy uh, value adds uh, uh, taking place in such areas. So it's very important to have that understanding that we have to move um, our economy very much towards a more uh, a structural transforming economy, more supporting the productive sector of the economy. And I think there's a due shed, even in government, I know Minister of Finance has said that before. And, and it has to be realistically seeing the numbers really pushing us towards, towards that space. The last point before I give my team um, around the money bills, I agree with the chairperson, Honorable Swazir, Swazir from SNK. The money bills, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an issue that really sits with the committees and, 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 and in that regard. But I think the, the questions around um, whether the FNPLA or whether the budget the parliament is, is funded uh, Sufficiently, we have done some analysis over time, and which we'll share, we'll share with some of the colleagues earlier, where it's worth looking at that um, 
you know, I mean, the Money Bills Act does give the, the legislature powers to really uh, dictate or determine in terms, and hence we're discussing now how much each sector or sphere has to get as allocated uh, budget. But I understand there has been discussion currently through the executive authority and the speaker yesterday in the, in the House discussion, there is quite clear information that there are conversations around that and, and, and to provide Parliament with much uh, uh, to actually retake the, the role that Parliament has been given by the Constitution in that regard. And the discussion around national health insurance, um, we will be looking into that uh, later. We have done some analysis, but I think we would rather provide more, uh, you know, more thoughtful analysis in, in that regard. I think I'll stop here and 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 give uh, Dr. Mohammed just give talks up around the microeconomic issues, and then give Dr. Olandi. And and just before I give uh, Dr. Mohammed, I know he talked to this as well. The issue around we already had uh, inflationary pressures even before the conflict in 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 in, in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, you know, look at the input costs globally. The process was a lot of pressure for them, and this certainly would like you to put more pressure on the inflationary in, in that regard. But again. Um, I'll let me leave uh, Dr. Mohammed to talk to those issues and then and we'll take other colleagues coming in. Dr. Mohammed, do you want to come in? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Jashis, with your permission, uh, Honorable Chair. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're really big issues. And I think the one thing, um, uh, just to check, can you hear me clearly? Yes, I can hear you clearly. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I just wasn't sure if you could hear me. Um, you, uh, you know, and, you know, we, we've come through periods of lots of uncertainty, um, you know, since the global financial crisis of 2008, the poor recovery since then, um, the COVID, and now this war, and we keep hearing about increasing risk from environmental Issues and so, so I think the one thing we we need to realize is that, you know, we're facing a future, and and this is something we've covered in in a few of our past um, presentations on budget and MTPPS, where where the where we need to understand the risks from geopolitical, from environmental, from the financial instability that uh, arises as well, um, and so so we're seeing. You know a lot of what's been happening in uh, as responses to those, and and I think central to part of uh, my understanding and, and looking at the macroeconomic situation is is the the increased role that that the financial sector and financial markets play within the global economy and how interrelated we are, and and you see that the major. Uh, way in which the Western countries or um, a lot of the world is dealing with Russia and its invasion of Ukraine is through putting in place sanctions and, and, and sort of saying you can't use the, the um, SWIFT system and other payment systems globally and, and to cut them off and also to cut them off from some of the reserves that they have um, in, in other countries or, uh, as well. But, but this interrelation Interrelatedness means that, um, say, we talk about what is the risk to South African food security. Now, South Africa produces enough food for ourselves. In some years, we can produce extra, but um, you know, we, we uh, just to make the point as well. You know, the the stats, uh, stats South Africa 
makes the point a lot, and, and uh, I want to repeat it, is that at a national level, we have food security, but at a household level, we don't have food security. And here the issue of inflation and inflation in food prices makes a difference. And so the role that government plays in terms of ensuring that certain increases in food prices aren't passed on to households, particularly poor households, or in offsetting that the impact of that. Also, so it's in terms of fertilizer, we import about 11% of our fertilizer from Russia, but what, 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 um, what the World Bank and the IMF and other people doing research on these matters show is that there's a correlation between fertilizer prices globally. There's a correlation also because a lot of grains and other foods, uh, basic foods, are, are, are sold on forward markets. Um, and and in, in, uh, this, it's become, to some extent, a financial asset. The, the derivatives based on these prices, the same goes for oil. These, these prices become correlated around the world. So once there's a problem somewhere and the price is pushed up, it affects uh, all of us. And so, and, and so we need to also think about this in terms of how we respond in terms of interest rates um, to inflationary increases. Are, are we responding to outside factors that have nothing to do with demand and the, the low levels of aggregate demand in the South African economy? Um, or are we responding to actually, you know, the, the demand pool from within the economy? Um, so just on, again, on, on, on fertilizers, we, we've seen big increases in fertilizer prices since 2021. Um, the maize uh, board, for instance, has warned about this several times. And one of the things that's helped us is exchange rates. And, and so the exchange rate and how the RAND is traded in global financial markets, um, which is often out of our hands and often not linked to the fundamentals in the South African economy, um, because it's also affected by what's happening globally and with a, uh, you know, uh, people operating in these short-term markets are chasing rands in currency markets, or they're chasing rubles or, or Turkish lira or whatever, um, and, and how they're managing their portfolios. So they may be moving out of the ruble now and moving into the rand, and the rand's maintaining a level of 15, but that could change very much. We also don't know how long the war's going to be. This morning I was reading that um, there, there seems to be a bit of optimism on the side from Ukraine to say that Russia seems to be um, wanting to be more open to some things in the negotiations and is not making um, the uh, basically uh, Ukraine declaring that they've um, lost the war as, as one of the conditions, for instance. So, so we, we don't know how long this war is going to last. We also don't know what the impact is going to be in terms of um, oil and gas production uh, as Ukraine is a major exporter, but also how uh, quickly um, Russia is going to be pulled back into the production uh, and, and providing that and what the oil price will be. So as, as, as uh, uh, my director said, you know, this, this is a moving target. And to add to that, there are lots of moving parts. Um, so but, uh, so, so the, the, my approach here is to say that we are going to see inflation in South Africa, but we should also be managing inflation. And, and part of my response also would be to Mr. Ryder's point about inflation being caused by um, fiscal stimulus. Now, you know, the, there is a relationship between the fiscal stimulus in the developed countries and increasing demand for certain goods there. But there's also a, a lot of the inflation that we've seen across 
important parts of say in the US have been coming on for a long time. Not um, and and so things like um, cost of education, cost of health, uh, cost of housing, um, and again because the fertilizer prices have been increasing everywhere. Um, food prices also uh, over a period of time have been increasing in the developed countries as well. Um, what what happened with the with the pandemic is that it's actually affected supply chains. It's affected the number of people uh, working in certain sectors, and so it's it's pushed up those prices even further. What's also happened is that the firms that have struggled, especially large corporations that dominate certain markets. Um, in, in food, in oil, and others have taken this opportunity to increase their prices um, and using inflation as, as an excuse um, because they've actually suffered declining uh, sales, um, or some of them have anyway during, during, the, um, during the pandemic period. So there's several reasons for that, but also um, looking at the US market particularly, there are people arguing that, you know, they saw a big increase in, in car prices and house prices during the pandemic, and also when people got more money from the government stimulus um, and, and things. But they, because it seems to be there's some settling down in certain of those value chains, and also more intervention by governments in trying to manage rents and, and house prices. Um, uh, so, so they may be turning a corner, and that may be not adding as much the inflation as well. So we need to keep watching the space and also we need to be careful in making that direct relationship between uh, you know, uh, government um, social expenditure um, and social security and increasing social security expenditure and inflation and understanding that. And also I think as my colleague from the FFC said, we need to actually look at the different products and the prices. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not giving a, a, a a clear answer, and as I was saying, there's lots of uncertainty and lots of moving uh, parts, but if necessary, I can come in and talk a bit more about that and the macroeconomic impact. I mean, I think overall, just in terms of South Africa and South Africa's uh, GDP, um, there may be a few points shaved off this year because of the, the war and because of that, the impact on prices and and. Um, and, and and value chains and the ongoing problems with value chains, um, but but again we we can't predict the severity at this point, and we haven't actually seen projections from any of the international organisations um, and and others uh, yet to provide those figures. Um, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Chair. Thank you very much. There's still another uh, member of the team. Uh, PBO that wants to come in. Yes, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. I will be quick. Um, okay. I can respond um, to Honorable Ryder and also perhaps Honorable Ocamp. In terms, and um, I'm I'm just so glad that we are moving away from just looking at incrementalism because if if you go back and you will check all our previous analysis of the budget. We always focused on the change from the previous year to the next year. And that is almost one of the first things that you consider uh, when you determine your budget for the following financial year is basically to look at um, the ability to spend in the current year and the ability to perform. So if you cannot perform and you cannot spend, then that should be the criteria or the basis 
for your next year's budget, and then you can go forward into the medium term um, or the two outer years, just adding your estimated CPI. So I'm really pleased in terms of that. And you will always see um, in some instances, especially now, um, we we uh, we saw increases of between two and six percent from last year to this year. And that is basically because um, a certain grant might have not performed, not financially, but also not in terms of outputs. And then, um, Honorable uh, Mkiva, you ask whether it is possible to do analysis on spending on in rural areas. It is possible. The data is there. It, it's just so overwhelming because we have about 30 grants, 41 votes, um, nine provinces, 257 municipalities. So if you can identify the province and the municipalities, it is possible to draw that information from the database um, of the Division of Revenue and do the calculations if you want us to do that. In terms of um, honourable chairperson, you said, what can this um, committee actually do? Um, the, in provinces, there's a huge role um, for provincial treasuries in terms of the in terms of local government and in terms of their role in, um, with regards to the implementation of the MFMA. There's also a huge role for um, provincial local government departments, and they uh, the 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 provincial treasuries needs to make sure that those budgets are credible and that allocations from, from provinces or from national departments does not lose its identity in those, um, uh, in those budgets. And then obviously they also have a role in terms of monitoring and it's not logically or it's not possible for this committee to, to have hearings or discussions with each and every um, municipality, but it is possible to have discussions with provincial local government departments and also local government um, provincial um, treasuries to report back um, or to provide um, analysis of those budgets and monitoring of those budgets. Um, there was another question in terms of whether we agree that the two um, uh, education infrastructure grants are combined. Um, I personally are in favour of um, may simplify the grant system because some at this stage is very complex. There's a lot of grants. There's a lot of duplication within grants, um, and it creates a huge administrative burden on provincial departments, on local government, as well as um, in terms of the reporting fu function um, uh, to the National Treasury and also that gap that we do not really get reports on the performance of the local um, grant, um, the conditional grants. We basically just get information on, um, on the expenditure. Um, I'm not sure if any of my colleagues will want to come in, but um, if, if not, then we are done. Um, our director has um, gone to the other meeting and he asked me that uh, we can just conclude. Thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Thank you, uh, Nelia and the team. Thank you very much, uh, Team PBO, Team FFC. Uh, can I check members if they want to 
have a second bite, uh, not really being long in that. Are we fine with the responses that we got from both institutions, honorable members? Are we fine? Uh, yeah, we are very fine, uh, Chairperson. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Mkiva. I see Honorable Detroit is also fine. Thank you, uh, Team uh, PBO and uh, FFC. We ap always appreciate your presence and your, your, your guidance, your views are taken very serious by this committee. They help in empowering us. Thank you so much. Uh, we, as the committee, we are to deal with a, a set of meeting of minutes of the meeting that took place on the 9th of March, 2020. Uh, we can allow uh, PBO and FFC to leave the platform if, uh, because now we are dealing with committee matters. Honorable members, can you see the minutes on the screen? Chairperson, uh, quite very clearly. Yes, Honorable Toit, just wait. Lubabalo, uh, wait. Honorable Toit? I was responding to your question, Chair. Oh, it is visible. Okay. okay, thank you so much. Okay, let's go on. For page two. And three. And four. <coughs> Members will stop us if there's anything that they identified that they want to change or twerk, page five, page six, hope we are not too fast, page seven, Page eight. And page nine. Honorable members, this is the last page of our minutes. Can we... Can I get a, a move up for the adoption of the minutes as a true reflection of the discussions uh, for the meeting? I move, the yeah, Yes, move. Thank you. Yes, Honorable Mkiva. Yeah, I want to second the mover and say that you can go ahead and sign on the dotted line. <laughs> 
Honorable Mkiva, I will sign uh, as the committee has adopted the minutes. Uh, with uh, that, uh, honorable members, and uh, we have uh, come to the end of our meeting. Uh, I want to thank you very much for your inputs, your participation in the in the in the meetings. We learn from each other every day, and uh, we really, uh, I really appreciate from the chairperson's uh, point of view. I'm appreciating your participation in the meeting. Thank you so much. There's another meeting in the NCOP that is taking place. I hope members will still have time. We finished before 12. Uh, we'll find time to join that meeting. Thank you so much, uh, and honorable members. Keep well and take care. Long live the chair. Keep well, bye-bye. Long live. Long live. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Long live. Thank you, Wekaya. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you, Yolanda. Thank you, uh, Estelle. Thank you, Lomo. Thank you, uh, Lubabalo. I see somebody by the name of Neo. Thank you, Neo. Thank you, Sephora. Thank you, Tyra, PMG. Thank you, uh, IT, Parliamentary TV as well. Thank you very much. I'm out. Bye-bye.